Welcome back to Kings of Columbus on the podcast. Doug Maurice and Bill Landis. And Landis, this Ohio State game against Michigan State this week. It's in prime time. They're wearing special uniforms. Not a great game. So that leaves us with this midweek show with a couple options. And I'm going to leave this up to you. These are the three things I thought we could discuss today. Okay. I thought we could do like another hour 45 on Kyle McCord's footwork. <laughs> I thought we could do like an hour 38 on the moral ramifications of specific types of sign stealing and how those should or should not be punished. Or we can call Berm and see if he wants to talk recruiting for 90 minutes. That one, that one. I like that that one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Berm! Berm, do you have a minute? Let's see if he can come in. I don't know if he's available. Oh, he's here. Hey, Berm. How you doing, man? Uh, fine. Ready to talk about sign stealing and all the moral ramifications. <laughs> oh, my God. You love morals. You a, love I'm, ethics. I'm a big... I, I think those things are important, Doug. It's, uh, it may be old-fashioned, but uh, yeah, I think it still matters. You love quandaries? What would Berm do? And quagmires. Quagmires. All right. Mm. We'll do recruiting instead. Uh, so we have not done that on Kings of Columbus like this. Berm... Have you you've talked about recruiting on uh, YouTube shows before, right? I have, yes. Uh, yeah. We actually have one on our on our channel. It's called Talking Stuff, uh, where oh. we talk stuff about recruiting. Um, yeah, everybody knows it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's fun. I mean, YouTube is a weird spot sometimes to talk about recruiting because I understand that the majority of people who follow recruiting are it's sort of a niche market, but um, it's becoming more and more part of the mainstream conversation of college football. And now you get into NIL and all these other places where Kids want their identities known and their brands to be promoted and their, their LLCs to find a, a spot to survive and thrive. So uh, now it's just that world. And and I think it is becoming a bigger part of the recruiting conversation. Uh, interestingly enough, with all of the brands and all of the NIL and all of the LLCs, kids actually seem more uh, hesitant to do the interviews and stuff on video than they did three, four years ago, because I think they realize they can just get attention and money without having to do that. Oh, I have an LLC now. I don't really know what it means. Could I be on your show? Is that all it takes to be on uh, Talking Stuff yeah. or on Bermanology? Yeah. Just have Honestly, an LLC? Every, yes. Every recruit who is entering this brand of, of this era of college football recruiting should have their own LLC to protect themselves. Uh, so I think that's actually very smart if we're talking about, you know, big picture, like, huh. these kids do need to be prepared this way, but they should have somebody probably who's an actual attorney. Um, not a vacuum repair salesman uh, setting it up for him. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys want to do 90 minutes on LLCs? Or you just want to talk about players? I'm open Pl- on that. Players, players, players. All right. Yeah, yeah. Here's what we're going to do then. We are going to go through every position group for Ohio State, and we are going to talk about sort of like the big win they have in recruiting at that position right now, and then the big need they have in recruiting at that position right now. It'll give us a little bit of a chance to talk about the coaches in those position groups. Are they getting it done? Talk. I mean, this is roster building, right? So there's the niche part of recruiting, and then there's the roster building part, which is just, you know, it's like the draft. It's like free agency. It's like everything else. Everybody in sports loves all that kind of stuff. So we're going to run through the whole team, and then we're going to do what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking at the end. And Berm's going to be watching and eating and thinking with us. So we're going to start with quarterback. We'll start with quarterback. And the big win here is obviously Air Noland. He is the quarterback recruit. In the class of 2024, 
And uh, Landis, are you are you fired up for Aaron Noland to get to Columbus? I love Aaron Noland. Yeah, he's uh, he's a really exciting quarterback prospect. I think a little different maybe than what Ryan Day has typically gone after. I think in terms of um, can tell me if I'm wrong. Like I don't I don't view him as like overwhelmingly like toolsy, but like he does everything incredibly well and he wins a ton. Like I think he's an awesome quarterback prospect. Yeah, I personally, I mean, you asked me to pick these uh, winners and and needs, so uh, I obviously believe that Aaron Nolan is the win. And I think it's interesting because I'm not sure that this is a guy who would have been recruited by Ohio State at quarterback um, four years ago. Uh, but then you have the C.J. Stroud success, and you see the similarities in what Air does to C.J.'s game, and I think that you can find a way to compare those two pretty favorably. It's a kid that is athletic enough to make plays out of the pocket, but he doesn't want to do that. He has incredible touch on the ball. If you if you mirror the tape and you put him as a right-handed passer instead of a left-handed passer like he is, I think you see a lot of similarities between Air and C.J. Stroud, and um, that's what I think caught the attention of Ryan Day in Ohio State. I, I believe that, that Air's ranking has moved up as Ohio State recruited him because of that very purpose and because of that very reason. And I just think you see a kid who has a complete game. He's playing high-level football in Georgia. He doesn't play in the highest level of Georgia. He's in the second level there. Um, but, it, uh, you know, thrown for over 10,000 yards in his career, 15-0 and as a junior, to a, leading his team to a state championship. Um, super, super kid who people are going to love in Columbus. And I'm not going to go out and say anything crazy like, oh, he, he's in line to start as a freshman or anything like that. It's still Ohio State, and the position is still pretty well loaded in front of him. But there are a lot of things that you like about Aaron Nolan, but Bill's right. It's not a position where, or a guy where you look at him and you're like, oh, this guy has a, a massive arm and, or he, he's a four, three guy, but he just does everything really well. Um, and that, that's why Ryan Day really liked him when they got a chance to see him throw down in January. This 2024 recruiting class nationally, top five guys probably, right? Julian Sands going to Bama. Dylan Raiola, once committed to Ohio State, going to Georgia. DJ Lagway going to Florida. CJ Carr going to Notre Dame. You throw in a guy like Jaden Davis going to Michigan. Ohio's own Ethan Grunkmeyer going to Penn State. This class, this started Landis with Dylan Raiola as the first recruit in the class of 2024. Mm-hmm. He decommits, and now it's Aaron Nolan. Dylan Raiola's going to Georgia. What do we think of, is recovery the right word? I don't know, right? I mean, it's still kind of a big deal that they had Dylan Raiola. Everybody thought Dylan Raiola was, I don't know, you said, not that he was going to be the next Patrick Mahomes, but you're looking for play style, whatever. And mm-hmm. then he's not a Buckeye. And then it's like, what are they going to do? And it's like, oh, they're going to do this. Now that this is what it's actually going to be, how should Ohio State fans feel about that? I, I would feel pretty good about it. Like, you, you can certainly go watch Dylan Riola and, and get enamored very quickly. Um, I, I guess I would caution, like, getting overly excited about any quarterback who's who's at quite at this stage in, in his development like Ooh, I, no, no no i no, think no. i want to be excited about no but I, I, recruits all the time i don't think like i guess i get annoyed by like the word generational getting tossed around so much because like that flies in the face of the definition of the word yeah. um so but like i think in terms of a pivot i think maybe is what i would say uh i don't know aaron nolan is probably as, as good as it gets i i you know i'm not a quarterback expert but i went and watched some of the guys after they lost Dylan Riola, just trying to figure out what they were going to do. And Aaron Nolan was the guy that I liked the best, assuming they weren't going to get Dylan Riola back. Um, so I thought they did a really good job of, of rebounding, whatever you want, whatever you want to label it. Um, once they lost Dylan Riola with getting air. What did you yeah, think? Not- how did Berm, how did they do this? 
What was that a difficult pivot when you have a guy and then you lose him and now you're back on the market again? Or was this a smooth transition that Ohio State, boom, here's Aaron Nolan, the way they go? It wasn't necessarily smooth. I mean, the reality is when Riola committed or decommitted in December, it was a now what do we do? Let's reassess. The the value of that is it happened in December of 2022. So you had plenty of time to find that replacement if that's what you needed. And, and certainly they did. Um, the good news for Ohio State is that they've become pretty accustomed to pivoting uh, in at quarterback as they've had to do in the last handful of cycles. Uh, you know, you go through and look at what they had to do in 2018 when you lose Emory Jones, uh, you you pivot and to, to Matthew Baldwin. Obviously, not a huge deal there uh, for Ohio State long term. 2019, you end up bringing in Justin Fields in December, uh, the class of 2020. You have to. You have Jack Miller committed early, but then you find C.J. Stroud, a diamond in the rough out in California um, at the Elite 11, and, and you end up getting a commitment from him in December. Uh, the class of 2021, you think you have Quinn Ewers. or I'm sorry, you have Kyle McCord. Uh, that one sticks, but then 2022, you have Quinn Ewers committed, and you think this is a generational quarterback who ends up reclassifying late. Buckeyes have to pivot, find Devin Brown and, and a five-star from California who had been committed to USC, from Arizona had been committed to USC. Uh, this is sort of what they do in the class of 2023. You had Brock Glenn committed, and then you had to pivot to Lincoln Keenholz in, in December. Like th This is how they like it, to be honest. They want to have more time to evaluate quarterbacks because there's such a, uh, a high miss rate at the position that if you are dialed in way too early on one guy, the odds are that you may have you know, been a little bit premature in, in your assessment. So uh, they certainly would have loved for Dylan Rayola to stay committed, uh, but he didn't. And they had a backup plan from the start. The backup plan was not Aaron Nolan immediately. I mean, the Buckeyes have a couple of guys that they were uh, evaluating. They love Julian Sayan. For example, Julian Sayan's my personal favorite quarterback in the class of 2024. Um, I, I think if you look at film of these guys in, in their senior seasons, though, uh, it's I, I don't know many people that would take the film of Dylan Rayola in 2024 against the film of Aaron Nolan and take Dylan Rayola, to be honest. I mean, it, it's not meant to be a knock on Dylan, uh, on Dylan. This is just the facts. So that, so, so that pivoting, it's quarterback. We can spend a little more time on quarterback. Mm -hmm. So it's good. Like this is, hey, stuff happens. You've got to be ready with sort of a plan B or a plan 1A all the time or do we look at it and say man they've had like a lot of goofy stuff happen at quarterback and that's not great which like can it be both i don't know my my instinct is to like ding them a little bit of like man it feels like you guys have a plan and then like the first plan falls through a decent chunk of the time i don't think they're alone in that um i think we see it a little bit more because we're obviously hyper focused on ohio state but I, it happens all over the country now this is an interesting conversation, I think, because as you look ahead to 2025, already Ohio State has their quarterback committed in that class. Davian St. Clair from Bell Fountain, Ohio. Is a, you know, as we're talking about, it's a little bit of a risk sometimes to take that kid too early. They wanted to make sure they got in on Tavian before everyone else around the country figured out what he was uh, or what they think he can be at six foot four, 220 pounds, big arm, all the, you know, athletic. You're looking at a Terrell Pryor type of, of build. Uh, out of out of Tavian and but a kid who can be that size and athleticism and actually throw the football where Terrell struggled so you know it, it is a little bit of a of a catch-22 because if you go dive in too early maybe you miss on someone else developing late and that that blows up like uh, Lincoln Keenholz did or Devin Brown 
or CJ Stroud. But if you don't, then you risk, you know, missing out and having to go to the transfer portal. Yeah, I, I just I, I think it's it's almost an impossible situation, right? I, I I see I hear what you're saying, Doug. Like you, it's not it's been a bumpy road basically to find every quarterback they they've found, um, and you'd like it to be smoother. I just don't know if the position provides that. Like there, there are programs like I think like Lincoln Riley is probably pretty good at doing it, right? Um, he usually gets his guy early, then then keeps that guy unless I'm forgetting something. But you're talking about defensive coordinators and getting a guy and then keeping it. That is correct. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I just I I don't I think it's a it's a hard balance to strike between doing what Berm's talking about, like making sure that you're you're positioned the way you need to be positioned early on in a prospects recruitment and and perhaps at times taking commitments earlier than you want to and like letting guys develop, especially like in Ohio. Like if you're, if you're like keeping a, a, an eye on players in Ohio, like a Tavian St. Clair or like Nathan Bernard, for instance, in the 2026 recruiting class, like those guys develop at different rates. So maybe that's something that's not, it's specific to like Midwestern programs, perhaps not just Ohio state, but they're kind of caught in between trying to, to make sure they're in early on the biggest national guys, but also, allowing themselves the time to watch guys develop and, and maybe pivoting later in cycles. All right. I, I, I want to ask well, you about yeah, I'm sorry. If you look at like Drew Aller, I mean, this, this yeah. is a problem yeah. in the Midwest. This is a problem in the Midwest. Okay. Because the Midwest generally schools, uh, states are not allowing spring football. They don't have seven on yeah. seven. But these quarterbacks in the Midwest are being developed at a, at a, a year behind everyone else. So you need to be able to take a little bit of a patient approach and realize that, Hey, something may change from the kid's, start of his junior summer to the start of his senior summer drew aller like took a the leap he made was just sensational from i saw him at the under armor camp um in april of his junior season or his junior year of high school and then see him again six months later and it was like a totally different person so uh it's the same thing with tavian st Clair. we watched him at ohio state camps um uh, uh, last summer and he did not look like a kid that was going to be what he is now and then six months later he's six foot four 220 pounds and and everything you want in a quarterback prospect mm-hmm. so you have to be willing to let it play out a little bit the guys like lincoln riley and uh you know who he, he finds his guy and then he spaces out his quarterback commitments he, he doesn't really go after one every year that would be considered a starting caliber guy and i think that's intentional on his part say hey julian lewis you're our guy in 2026 and we're going to slow play it in 2025 because we've already got um, Malachi Nelson or whatever Malachi Nelson in 24 or 23. So now you, he's, he's playing it a different way. And I think there's value in each, each approach, but the difference is if you're out in California, you can watch a kid throw the ball all year round and, and you get a much better sense of what he can be. I like that. I like recruiting like starter backup, starter backup, kind of like year to year, but, it's all about your stack, right? So, Landis, the quarterback stack next year, if everybody sticks, you'd have fourth-year Kyle McCord, third-year Devin Brown, second-year Lincoln Keenholz, first-year Aaron Noland, like a delicious stack of pancakes in the morning. What would you <laughs> think of that Ohio State quarterback stack if that's where they are? Yeah, pr- pretty good. Um, deep, right? Like deep, Deeper than maybe Ohio State typically is. Um, and, and if we're being fair, perhaps – not quite as good at the top as Ohio State typically is, unless we're going to see a tremendous jump from Kyle McCord here over the next uh, couple of months. Um, look, like set, set up really well. I, I think you want to, if you're going to recruit the way that Ohio State does, right, which is like going after a guy every year, you want to be able to survey that room and feel confident that all four guys there or whatever can start. And uh, I think they have that with those four you named. 
Yeah, right. and it is unlikely all four of those guys will be back. Yeah, that, right. yeah. next year. So it's unlikely. You think we don't get that stack, Berm? I would think it's unlikely. I mean, that's just surveying the position. I think if if Kyle McCord returns for his for next season, and and Devin Brown believes that Kyle McCord will be the starter, I I, I don't see why Devin Brown would stick around for another year of that. I mean, th- the plan has been the plan has been exactly what it is to now. The plan deviates if Kyle McCord is back on this roster next year, and then I think that the plan deviates from there for for Devin Brown. Do you? Th- so let's do. People are like, wait. Well, let's talk about that. We'll talk about it for two minutes. So I would imagine the idea of like, I, who thinks Kyle McCord is going to the NFL after this season? Anybody? No, I don't. Berm rolled his eye. Berm has a seat. What, what's what's your secret? I, I don't do think so. Maybe? I mean, I I, I yeah. think that I think that that had been the plan until the season started. Okay. So then I think they come back in the spring and they have a quarterback competition again. And it's a little bit like Haskins and Burrow, um, except one of the guys, it's actually more like Cade McNamara, Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy. Um, but then who maybe they both demand an answer after spring and whoever's number two on the depth chart goes. Is that what you think is possible, Berm? I think that's pretty possible. Yeah. Landis? Yes, I think that is possible, if not likely. Okay. Now we have to move on and talk about safeties. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Let's do 90 minutes on the 2024 quarterback battle. We're not. We'll do it later. Need. What can they do? Like, what do they need at quarterback? Now, we've already talked about this, Berm. Your need is steal the Lincoln Riley guy? What? <laughs> How can this be the plan? Explain this. Because there are guys out there who have a, a different way, a different aura about them, a different um sense of what they're going to be and i think julian lewis is that guy and i think that's why lincoln riley uh acknowledged it so early i think that's why ryan day and Corey dennis acknowledged it so early ohio state has just not been able to get him on campus this weekend julian's going to visit georgia uh he, he obviously he lives down in georgia he's a kid that is willing to still take some trips i i don't see why ohio state wouldn't keep plugging away there especially considering all of the conversations about lincoln riley and the nfl and watching his program be exactly what it was at Oklahoma. I don't think people are going to look at it and be like, oh, you can't flip this kid. Uh, there were multiple times this spring where he planned on coming up to visit Ohio State and, and didn't make it. I, I think that in the class of 2026, since you already have 2025 locked up with Tavian St. Clair, I, I think you just aim for the biggest possible fish and you take you start swinging as hard as you can for that. Um, and I think Ohio State will keep doing that. Now, will it matter? I don't know. But uh I know that from talking to people around the, the Julian Lewis recruitment, his decision when it came this summer, he was pretty much telling people there's only two places he's going to end up, and it's going to be with Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley. Um, and so why not just keep swinging? Because I don't think Lincoln Riley will be at USC in 2026. Barbara's just dropping. Burma's like, uh, could you analyze the quarterback position? And Burma's like, I think the world will cease to exist in 2028. I mean, but let's talk about I, the that's a possibility God. too, Doug, to be honest. I mean, I'm not going to rule that out. I'm not, I'm not, not, I'm not used to this firm style of podcasting where they're just, he's dropping bombs on us in like a very calm and, uh, do you think, do you guys think that Lincoln Riley is going to be there in 2026? No, I don't. I agree with you. Why? So, because Alex Grinch, what, why? What do you mean? Because he didn't go to the NFL, he's gonna be like, I can't win in the Big Ten. I'm out. Like for like that's what. Yeah, I think he's in for a rude awakening when he brings that team into the Big Ten. And I also think he's a guy that really doesn't like football that much. (laughs) (laughs) Those boys boys are getting pushed around in the Pac-12, man. I don't think he likes being a head coach of of a football team in Los Angeles, and I think he will uh, look for a way to get out of it. Yeah. Uh, 
you're making it hard to move on with the segments with what you guys are dropping on us here. I hope it's, I know it's entertaining for the people. Anyway, Julian Lewis is the number one quarterback recruit in 2026. As you said, Berm, he's from Georgia. He committed to USC in August. One of the reasons I like when Dylan Rayola committed to Ohio state, it was like, man, they went head to head with USC for Dylan Rayola and they won like this idea. If they could flip a Georgia kid, Away from USC to Ohio State, Berm. Like it feels like we wind up talking about Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley in context of each other all the time. How big of a win would that be? Not just to get the kid, but to take him away from kind of the guy you're compared to. I mean, I don't know that it's big from the perspective that it's Ohio State versus Lincoln Riley or Ryan Day versus Lincoln Riley, or I, it's the best quarterback in the country in that class. And so, but, but it exacerbates it instead of having to face him. Now you get him right. That's well, part yeah, of it too. If yeah. USC is going to be in your conference. A hundred percent. I mean, the conversation in the last few years when it comes to quarterbacks has been Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley. Nick Saban and Alabama have found a way to, to get their name in there. I'm not entirely sure how, uh, but they, they keep being <laughs> brought up in that conversation. You know when Nick well. Saban's retiring, by the way, Berm, do you want to drop that in here in the middle of the podcast? He's going to be the USC coach in 2027. I don't think he's ever retiring. In fact, finding out in the last uh, week or so that Nick Saban's birthday was on Halloween answered so many questions yeah. for me about his potential relationship with Satan and how he has continued to get younger and younger every single year. And I, I think that he is somehow absorbing the life force of the assistant coaches that are around him. And that's why he actually does all these reclamation projects is so he can bring in coaches from around the country who are younger that he can just suck their life force out of them and then discard their bodies. Yeah. He had a nice die job on game day this week. He looked good. So you think uh, like Bottom line, it's important to flip a kid like this because he's the best player in the country to the position, and you don't have to play against him 100%. Like that, that's, why it's, that's why it matters. So it was like, hey, we'll have the leader of Hades go up to earth and be a college football coach. And it's like, what should his name be? And they were like, Nick Satan. And they were like, Ugh, too, it's a little too obvious. <laughs> what about a B? That's good enough. Good enough. Okay. Can this I ask one? Can I ask like a question on twenty six? Landis, I don't pod with Berm that much. I'm getting the full. It's the full dosage right off the bat. It's the best. I love it. You never know what to expect. Um, Berm, what is the deal with Nathan Bernard? I mentioned him, the quarterback from Ashland. Like, is he a guy that Ohio State has an eye on, or are they more focused at the, at the top end of that twenty twenty six class? It's sort of a both. I mean, Ohio State is always focused on the best players at the position at quarterback. That is their way. That is the motto. It is go after the best quarterback in the country every single cycle and let the guys around him fall where they may. Uh, but they are wanting and waiting to see Nathan Bernard take that next step. Again, this is a situation where a guy is a sophomore in Ohio is not going to be as developed as a sophomore in Georgia, period. And so uh, what Nathan Bernard has, however, is a six foot six, 225 pound frame that is very enticing. Got a big arm, but he's a little bit uh, inaccurate and maybe not quite as mobile as you'd like to see. Um, now, there has been a desire by the Buckeyes in the last couple of cycles to find that kid in Ohio. And that's why the Tavian St. Clair, Ryan Montgomery debate was so uh, interesting to, you know, as it unfolded. But Tavian St. Clair's athletic upside, I think, is really what uh, won them or won the day for Ohio State when it came to that re recruitment. Bernard needs to get better. Uh, I don't think you can even talk about that until we see him at Ohio State next summer okay. and see if he's taking a step. I mean, Lewis is is light years ahead of where he yeah. is. He's electric. That kid. All right. So we got Lincoln Riley going to the NFL. Nick Saban possibly 
being the devil and uh, a bunch of other. Yeah, at some point, he's going to return to his throne in the underworld. I don't know when it's going to happen, but the, I mean, maybe not. As you said, there's there is a, a a non-zero chance that he will just take over on Earth instead of having to you know go back to the underworld. So mm-hmm. I read that in a book once. Okay, so that was the quarterback discussion. <laughs> You asked for this. <laughs> you wanted this, Doug. Uh, no, I'm, I, this is good. Not not every position group is going to be quite like this, but but that was a good way to start it here with the quarterbacks. All right, so let's let's try to see if we can match that. Possibly, offensive line is almost as interesting, and it's there's five positions instead of just one. So we do have a lot to talk about with offensive line recruiting. Berm, when we asked what the biggest win here was. You were pretty definitive on this, and it's getting Ian Moore out of Indiana early in that cycle, and he's kind of been a leader in that class. And Why did you think it was so important for Ohio State to land him when they did? Number one, I mean, Rivals.com has had him ranked as the number one ranked offensive tackle in the country of the class of 2024, at least through a portion of, of this cycle, which is pretty important. I think people have overlooked that because he's not a big national name, because he's from Indiana, because he committed so early. Uh, Ohio State needed a guy that they felt like was going to be a multi-year starter at, in the offensive line, at offensive tackle, and they believe that about Ian Moore. And the most important thing for me about Ian Moore and why I have him as the biggest win right now over let's, you know, they have three offensive linemen committed with Deontay and Devontae Armstrong al- alongside Moore is the growth that he made from last summer to this past summer uh, is huge. And I-, I think that you look at a kid who's six foot six, about 315 pounds, sort of got that old school offensive lineman vibe about him and a kid that just wants to put people in the ground. Uh, he's not like, he's a really nice kid, but he also wants to, to abuse people on the football field. And I think that that is something that is sorely missing from Ohio state's offensive line group right now. I think they're all too nice personally, and then too nice on the field. And I think that Ian Moore is a guy that uh, maybe takes that and turns it on its head a bit. So, you know, we had conversations this year about how much should could should Luke Montgomery potentially play as a true freshman because the tackle situation is just not up to the normal Ohio State standard. Landis, when you look at a guy like Ian Moore, do you think this is a not saying a true freshman should play at tackle unless you're Orlando Pace, but is is he definitely like a play early, fix problems very quickly kind of guy in your mind? I don't. I don't know that I'd say definitely. I, th- I think he could be. When I first got him, I was I was skeptical of his ability to play tackle, and then I went in the summer and watched him at a couple of camps and was sold on his ability to play tackle immediately. Um, he just put in a lot of work, like Berm said, like changed changed his body. I think got a little more athletic, um, without sacrificing the power that I think does does bring that nasty streak that I agree with Berm that the offensive line needs a little bit. So I can see him coming in and and, and pushing for sure. Like you have Luke there. You have Tegra Shabola, who I think is more of a guard, but they they seem you know interested in the idea of seeing what he can do at tackle. I know they still like George Fitzpatrick, and he's still on that development arc, so it's not an entirely bare cupboard there when you think about depth tackles, or, or at least next year. I, I think the depth there could be a little better than it is right now, but I, I think Ian Moore probably shows up and, and is instantly pushing to be kind of in that second group of of offensive tackles behind what I'm assuming will be Josh Fryer and Josh Simmons coming back next year. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He, he's, he's not going to be put in a position where he has to be that guy. Yeah. Because yeah. Simmons and Fryer are expected to return. Um, I think what you see with Ian Moore 
is a guy that has every tool you want. And that that's what Ohio State is looking for. It's not a position where, you know, the last few cycles they've had to sort of make concessions with with some players. Like, okay, this guy's maybe not as tall as we'd like, or maybe he's not as long, maybe he's not as athletic. So we're gonna try to find a way to to hide that or disguise that. You look at a guy like Luke Montgomery, he's a perfect example of that. Like Luke has all the athletic ability you want, but he doesn't have the typical tackle frame. Ian Moore has that. He also has the athletic ability. He also has the attitude. And his head coach, Kyle Ralph at New Palestine, is a really like dynamic offensive line developer, uh, which is rare in high school. And I think that that will serve him really well as he heads to Ohio State in January. Is this a good get? He's like an Indiana kid. Um, Justin Fry went to Indiana. Is this like an obvious? I don't know. Indiana almost to me is like practically Ohio high school football because if you're a good high school football player in Indiana, like where are you actually like where are you, you going to go to Indiana? I don't know. Is anyone like you're like Ohio you State? Well, but Notre Dame Notre Dame recruits nationally. For, yeah, Notre Dame did not offer Ian Moore, which is an interesting cool. interesting side note in this whole thing. They did try to get back in in his recruitment a little bit after he committed to Ohio State, and he said he wasn't interested. So then they never offered. So. Uh, it is an, at least an interesting note that Notre Dame did not offer him. Neither did Michigan. But again, Ohio State identified him so early and had him in the class so early. So uh, we've talked a lot on Talking Stuff and other shows about Justin Fry and his evaluation uh, and the the battle that's coming between Ohio State and Michigan in the state of Ohio when it takes on the, the shape of like Luke Hamilton or Ben Roebuck, who are committed to Michigan, that Ohio State didn't offer, but the Buckeyes did offer Deontay and Devontae Armstrong. And how Justin Fry's evaluations pan out, I think, is actually going to be like a very interesting subplot of this class of 2024. So, we, so credit here, or would Ian Moore have wound up at Ohio State in most situations? Or is this like a good get him early, get him before you get these offers? How much credit are we given Justin Fry? For? How do you how do you want me to quantify that? I the thing I always go by right is like. Would Ian Moore have wound up at Ohio State almost no matter who the head coach and the offensive line coach was? That no. if if you're in the, the state next door and Ohio State offers, it's like, holy moly, it's Ohio State. That's better than Indiana and Purdue. I'm going there. Or did the position coach do something a little extra to make it happen? Uh, I, I don't think he would have ended up at Ohio State regardless. I think that if he didn't have the relationship he had with Justin Fry as early as he did, he would have waited to commit another six, seven months. And then if by that point, he would have a lot more opportunities around the country. Um, once Ohio State has a commitment from a kid early, schools generally just stop recruiting them. And I think that that makes an offer list look a little bit sparse compared to what you'd expect from a elite-level national tackle. Um, but they, Ohio State firmly believes that Ian Moore is that guy. I've seen enough from him to believe that he is that guy as well. And so I, I, I think this is a big win for Ohio State. All right, it's a win. It's a win. Something, Landis, like Berm. When Berm said, how would you like me to quantify that, Doug? It made me nervous again. Well, because, no, the question, think, is asked, the question is asked, how much credit do we give? And I wasn't sure if you wanted me to do it in, like, a number form, if you wanted it in, like, a, a letter, a color. I mean, I, I don't know what. I didn't know, Doug. See, this is the this Sparkling is the problem. We, we don't we don't we don't, like uh, to quantify we don't talk to, we we don't uh, we don't pod together very often. So I don't know, you know what uh, what what your approach is. You know, my it's like my obviously my recruiting knowledge is one one thousandth of what Berms is. So I don't know I how to quantify, know how quantify Berm. You quantify. You qu- that's all. 
Tell me how to quantify. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So here's, so that's a win. We'll give it a win. Good. I'm, I'm good win. Good win for Justin Fry. Why do you hate Justin Fry, Doug? What? He just seems like a a friendly fella. Need, right? So Landis, you talk about this a lot. So the last five recruiting classes, counting 2024, so 24 back to 2020, Here's the where the offensive line recruits are from. 11 from Ohio, four from other Midwest states that touch Ohio. Mm-hmm. One from Colorado, George Fitzpatrick. One from Connecticut, Miles Walker, who's a late grab. Uh, one from New Jersey, Luke Whippler. One from Texas, Donovan Jackson with huge Ohio roots. And one from Wisconsin, Carson Hinsman that feels like, hey, Justin Fry went up and locked that down. That was good. You've spoken a lot. Landis about the idea of like, hey, you got to just make sure you're identifying the right Ohio guys. But would you how much do you think they need a couple more like big time national splashes in their offensive line recruiting? Or is it really making sure you just get the right guys in your backyard? I think I would I would like to see them make like one of those splashes per cycle, if if at all possible. I realize that's probably not going to happen every year. I want to I want to, you know, acknowledge the difficulty of doing that. Right. It's it's not that. The, these guys aren't typically in the Midwest. You have to go often down south most often to find the, the kind of offensive linemen we're talking about, and it's hard to get them to leave the SEC. Like I 100% get that. Um, but it's Ohio State, so like, I, th- I think you should be able to get a guy like this every year, every other year, I, I think is I think is a fair um, expectation. Bec- and then what I actually, th- what I believe is more important, and you guys can tell me if I'm crazy, I think identifying the right Midwestern players is far more important than going out and winning these national battles because uh-huh. they're just so, they're just so hard to win and it's hard to rely on if you're Ohio state, what you do have in your, in your backyard is a bounty of developmental offensive linemen. And it's on you to figure out which ones are going to hit and which ones aren't. And I think one of their bigger problems, perhaps the big, a bigger problem than not getting these big fish we're talking about is bringing in the wrong kind of developmental Midwestern prospect. Yeah, a thousand percent. I agree. I mean, uh, the reality for offensive linemen, and this, this serves also for defensive linemen, um, those big kids, those big mama's boys from the South who eat all the home cooking, they don't like to leave home. And uh, the SEC makes it difficult to leave home at times um, when you consider all of the other cooking that is included. So uh, it, it's, it's hard. Uh, I think that you know, you can look at those numbers from the last couple of years and see the heavy Ohio uh, tinge and the Midwest tinge, but I don't think that is just the last few years. I mean, let's go back 30 years. The majority of Ohio State offensive linemen are from the Midwest. Uh, the majority of Big Ten offensive linemen are from the Midwest. That's the way it goes. Um, but there have been in the last decade um, a number of times when Ohio State has let Ohio kids go who end up going somewhere else and being really good offensive linemen. That's a bigger problem to me than than not recruiting Players from out of state like Jordan Seaton, who's from the Washington, D.C. area originally, now playing at IMG. Like, that's why he's the biggest need here because he's an elite level offensive tackle who hasn't committed anywhere. And we are at November 8th. So, and they're in the fight. So, you have to win this one. Uh, because if you don't win this one, that depth that we're talking about of the offensive tackle, which is developing a little bit, and sure, you get the boost of having Fryer and Simmons back next year. But Jordan Seaton is a guy that's like a Paris level, Paris Johnson level offensive talent. Um, and that doesn't happen every year. So when you have a six foot six, 310 pounder who moves the way he does, who can play offensive tackle or guard, uh, who, who just is a little bit different and you're in the fight, 
Now you have to win it, uh, period. This is one Ohio State has to win. Can yeah. I ask a question? Sorry to cut you off, though. Yeah. Just because, um, so I wanted to look this up. And it's not really about Jordan Seaton, but it's about what we talked about before. In the 2024 class in Ohio, there are 14 offensive linemen committed to Power 5 programs already. Two of them are committed to Ohio State. One was committed to Ohio State. Mark Nave, now he's uncommitted. I guess, Berm, just like, what is your, I don't know if comfort level is the right word, or it's like, just like assessment of the work that has been done in Ohio to make sure that they are on the right guys. And I know that's hard to tell. Like, we need to let these guys develop, obviously, to see what kind of players they become. But the fact that there's that much power five talent in the state, and Ohio State at the moment is only taking two and probably will only take two. Is that okay with you, or do you think they should have been a little more aggressive in the state? I think they should have been more aggressive this cycle. I think William Satterwhite at Akron Hoban, uh, who's committed to Tennessee, is a player that I would have made a more of an, a, a push for. Ohio State, and, and maybe this is the wrong approach, maybe it's the right approach. I, I'm not going to judge it based on the fact that we haven't seen the, the, the real results of this bearing out in the last couple of years. Uh, maybe we'll see it more in the future. But a guy like Satterwhite, who Ohio State never offered, but said, hey, in June, come to our camp, and then we'll talk about offering you. Uh, the kid, to his credit, I guess, decided, hey, I'm not going to go there if you don't offer me, which I, I vehemently disagree with. Like, I think if you're a kid in Ohio and you want that offer, you need to understand that you need to go to Ohio State and show up. And I, I think that high school coaches or uh, handlers or you know third uncles that are telling them, hey, you're too good for this, I think are doing the kids a terrible disservice. Um, but I do think that the Buckeyes perhaps could be a bit more um, flexible when it comes to saying, "Oh, okay, maybe in this instance we'll 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 let this kid come." Can't you know? We'll we'll, we'll take a second look or a third look. Um, and and I don't know if they do that enough. I think that there is a, a sense of you had your opportunity, you didn't want it. We're going to move on, and I don't know that I love that. So in, in terms of this national splash idea, you know, Landis, you said, you know, once a cycle, you should be in on this kind of thing, right? Last last cycle was three Ohio kids and then a late grab on a Connecticut kid that's not a national splash. George Fitzpatrick in 2022 is a Colorado kid. Hinsman's a Wisconsin kid. Hinsman's playing right away. You get, you get a lot of credit for that. Donovan Jackson, again, from Texas. Um, a lot of Ohio roots. Luke Whippler from Jersey. Harry Miller in 2019 from Georgia. You know, we know what happened with that situation. Nicholas Petit Frere in 2018 from Florida. Wyatt Davis, 2017 from California. It just is like they didn't really get one last year. And all credit for Ian Moore. I'm not saying they need 50 national offensive linemen, Berm, right? But like no. you're saying, like, you know, one every cycle, one every other cycle at least. This is why, even with all this good Ohio talk you guys just had. You're talking about Jordan Seaton in a world where you didn't get Brandon Baker. Jordan Seaton is like almost a must, right? Because yeah, at I, some point you you have to make a splash every now and then on the offensive line. Yeah, it's frustrating. I think like I'm going to try to take the perspective of the people inside of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center right now who look at their recruiting class number one or number two in the country according to every national service, and yet we're looking at a player in Jordan Seaton who I think a lot of people believe will make or break this class from a, a offensive perspective, even though you have the number one player in the country committed in, in Jeremiah Smith, even though you have uh, you know, two, three really good running back prospects or, or three really good wide receiver prospects and two tight ends. Like, you have to get this guy. Number one, again, he plays in Florida, but he's from Washington, D.C. area. It's not a kid who's so far outside of the Ohio State footprint that it becomes like a difficult thing. This is a this is an NIL battle at this point for Jordan Seaton. 
And Ohio State is going to be faced with a difficult decision when it comes to exactly how far they're willing to dive into that muddy pool. And uh, other schools that they're competing against have no problem with it. So the Buckeyes are going to need to make some some tough decisions. Um, that is going to be more and more a part of college football, especially at these premier positions like cornerback, like offensive tackle, like quarterback. So how far do you go? I think Ohio State, who has believed for months now that Brandon Baker was an elite level offensive lineman, but they didn't think he was the same level as Jordan Seaton. And so I think there was a conscious decision to say, let's focus here. And we'll see if it pans out. If it doesn't, it's a pretty difficult miss because there is no replacement for him. The Buckeyes are, are interested and are uh, hosting Gabe Van Sickle, who's uh, a New Jersey, sorry, New Jersey, Northwestern commitment from up in Traverse City, Michigan area. He's visiting this weekend on an official visit. He visited for the Penn State game. So it's the second visit for him in three weeks. That's a potential flip. He's a really, I, I mean, if you put on Gabe Van Sickle's tape, like it's pretty nasty. That's a kid who, who, has the attitude you want, but he's not a replacement for a guy like Jordan Seaton, and he's more likely a guard. So you need a tackle like this in this class. And again, Paris Johnsons don't come around very often, and Ohio State fans know that better than anyone, but this is as close as you get in this class. And I think the Buckeyes have been able to illustrate the development on the offensive line a little bit over the last few years, um, and, and now it's time to to take the next step and bring in a guy like this. And I want to be sure to point out Greg Studrara is the one who gets the credit for the Carson Hinsman recruitment, even though he ended up not being able to coach him. Um, Justin Fry did a you know fine job making sure that didn't uh, fall apart, but Ohio state let go of Greg Studrara like three days before signing day. So, or before these kids were enrolling in school. So it, he didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to look elsewhere. All right. That's offensive line. We won't get quite as deep on other positions, but I think we, we definitely needed to you do keep that. Keep saying that. Well, we did the most. We did the most interesting ones at the top, which is oh. and, and again, like this is uh, what are we talking about with the Ohio State team this year? We need to be talking about quarterback and offensive line recruiting. All right, receivers are next. All right, time to talk then receivers. Uh, Jeremiah Smith, firm on the list of the great receiver prospects and and it's hard to differentiate but this is why you're here there's what the player becomes there's what they are as a recruit right jeremiah smith number one player in this class uh been committed to ohio state obviously he's the big win when it comes to the run of ohio state receiver recruits how does he rank how's he uh, fit better in? better than all of them better than all of them yeah uh the size the body control the physicality the speed the uh, the ability to to catch the ball, like he just does everything at a at a next level level. Um, if he stays healthy, he's a first round pick, and that's not even a it's not a question. Like this is a this is a kid who has everything you want. This is a Julio Jones type of player um, immediately, and AJ Green maybe maybe Julio's a better comparison because of the physicality, and AJ was a little you know sleeker, um, but. This is a kid who will start at Ohio State as a freshman. So, Landis, I don't even want to do the need then, right? Why would we do this to the people who love watching this show and love listening to this podcast? Yeah. Should we just <clears> skip? <throat> Should we just do 30 seconds on receiver? Mylon Graham and Jeremiah McClellan, they're good too. Let's go to tight end. Mylon Graham is awesome. I want to be very clear yeah, about that. Awesome. Mylon, Graham, Mylon Graham is awesome. Uh, Jeremiah McClellan is a really good player and uh, who 
people I think have unfortunately put him in this box of like, well, he's a, he's a nice throw in because you have Graham and, and, and Jeremiah Smith. Jeremiah McClellan is a really good player. He's a six foot two, 200 pound slot receiver. Like he's a big kid who gives you an opportunity to do some things. Like he's a, he's a KJ Hill, but with speed, um, very similar to Emeka Abuka in a lot of ways. Like I, I, Jeremiah McClellan should not be overlooked by people in this class. And, and it brings up the need at Ohio State. And on the, on the show, we talked about, you know, the need is to make sure that Jeremiah Smith stays committed to Ohio State and signs with the Buckeyes. But it, this is, it's he not just the need. Need. We didn't even get to the yeah. need yet. He just gave <laughs> away the need. Let's just, just get to just, it. If we're working on it for 10 months and he just said it. Let's just get to it. That's that's what happens. The, the biggest need here is to not just keep Jeremiah Smith in this class. And I think that that is actually uh, an, a less of a concern for me right now than keeping Jeremiah McClellan in the class. Because McClellan, especially with Ryan Wingo committing to Texas two weeks ago, uh, Missouri is being extremely aggressive when it comes to NIL for in-state players. And that's pr- proven out uh, with them having a commitment from Williams and Lenari, the number one ranked defensive lineman in the country, according to a lot of people who picked them over everyone else that you would normally expect them to pick. Um, they've done a great job with Luther Burden at Missouri. They're trying to sell this idea to Jeremiah McClellan that they can keep all these parts home. Um, and, you know, for, for the Ohio State, they want and probably need four receivers in the class of 2024. You certainly are not in a position right now where you want to have to go back to the pile and find someone else to replace any one of these guys. So the need is to make sure that you have Smith and McClellan and Graham all signing next month. McClellan's from St. Louis. They've had some success getting guys from St. Louis. Same high school as Cam Brown and and Cam Bev, yeah. In a good spot for Ohio State. Uh, Do you want to talk about Mylon Graham a little bit, Landis, before uh, we get into the, like, what what might happen if Jeremiah Smith flips? Make people feel good about Mylon Graham. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mylon Graham, when he camped at Ohio State, was super, like, the first time and got the offer, was super impressive. Like, no one knew who he was, and and I think... We probably all believed that that was going to be a heartline special. Like he he saw the five star before anyone else was or anyone else did, and then lo and behold, he did become a five star. Like if we can put ourselves in a world where Jeremiah Smith doesn't exist, like I would be ecstatic about having Mylon Graham as the best receiver in my recruiting class. Oh, that was good. People feel good about that. Yeah. yeah, he's another guy that I think is is elevated nationally because of what Ohio State did with Chris Olave, who. No one had ranked as a five-star. Chris Olave was a three-star kid who people didn't even know existed until they went to watch Jack Tuttle play. So, uh, but the similarities there are shocking, and uh, I think that Mylon Graham is the is the beneficiary of people going, "Oh, you can look like that as a high school receiver and still dominate in college as long as you are, you know, way more efficient with your route running than the guys across from you can be to stop it." And that's what Mylon does. He's he's an excellent receiver prospect. All right, so let's talk about the need. The need is to keep Jeremiah Smith. And this has been something that has been like a topic of conversation. Every time Jeremiah Smith takes a sideways glance at any, you know, he's driving by Burger King and he thinks, should I stop and get some onion rings? People are like, that's it. He's flipping. When we think about flips, Berm, Dylan Raiola in this classic quarterback, Mark Fletcher at running back last year, right? Jaheim Singletary, Terrence Brooks, Desan McCullough in 2022, Clark Phillips in 2020, Jordan Battle in 2019. Like, it, it, everybody has some flips. Generally speaking, 
How hurt do you think Ohio State has been in recent years by guys that were in and then flipped out? And I'm asking, like, maybe maybe not as much as a lot of other places because everybody loses some guys. But isn't Ohio State usually good at hanging on to their best guys? Yeah, and they're also really good at finding a way to replace guys who do flip with someone who's of equal talent and or better. Um, I think if you look at that list of guys that you just mentioned, you can spot the extenuating circumstance that really led to the flip more than anything else. I mean, coaching changes, et cetera. Yep. Very rarely do you have the Dylan Rayola situation, which was something completely different. And I mean, I don't think anyone really is ever going to get the full story on that. I don't, I don't know the full story. I know it just seemed like there was a sudden disconnect between the family and, and the coaching staff at Ohio state that didn't really make sense. Um, but yes, the Buckeyes, unless something is going bad at Ohio State or unless there's changes at Ohio State, kids generally want to be a part of what's going on. And that's why the entire last year where the Jeremiah Smith debate has raged always has the asterisk on it, which is if Brian Hartline's at Ohio State, Jeremiah Smith will be at Ohio State. And that that does not, I don't think there's anything that you can say that will change that over these next five weeks until or six weeks until the early signing period. If Brian Hartline is Ohio State's offensive coordinator slash wide receivers coach slash head coach in the future, whatever, Jeremiah Smith will be there. What if Brian Hartline is USC's coach next year and replaces <laughs> well, Lincoln Riley? And Jeremiah Smith will probably not be at Ohio State next year. Okay. All right. So like, that's really it. So then, but that, if that's the conversation, then it's not really a conversation. Landis, do we have any reason to believe that like, where Brian, where's Brian Hartline going? He's not going anywhere. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's good. I'm I'm glad that all the you know the recruiting websites can get a lot of traffic out of Jeremiah Smith visited Florida State this week and like eyeball emojis and stuff like that. But I, I like I have no fear of him going anywhere as long as Brian Hartline is is wearing an Ohio State quarter zip, and I think he will be for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, I think it does actually bring up an interesting question about how dangerous it is to have a recruit so tightly aligned to one coach instead of the program in general. But I mean, that's, that's life, right? I mean, that that's, mm -hmm. that's what happens. That's the guy you're going to spend all your time with. So those relationships become paramount. But if you look back at like Clark Phillips, I mean, that was because of Jeff Halfley and Jeff Halfley left Clark Phillips, went to Utah. Uh, it, it's, it's not a situation where you can really change it, but it is at least an interesting conversation. Like, Hey, it, how incumbent is it on, Ryan Day and the rest of the staff to make sure that they are all as tightly connected to Jeremiah Smith as, as Brian Hartline is, or is, is the development of wide receiver position and what Hartline's been able to do in that role, something that doesn't, you know, those, none of those relationships matter because the only thing that matters is I'm going to get to the NFL in three years. Who are Ohio state starting receivers next year? Um, depends. Uh, it, I think there's at least a world where Emeka Abuka returns to Ohio State uh, for his senior season. If that happens, it changes things a little bit. But if not, I think that your starting receivers are Carnell Tate, Brandon Innes, and Jeremiah Smith. Yep. I agree. Okay. Pretty, Jeremiah Smith uh, is a freak, Doug. A freak. Freak. Like we're not we're, it is it is a it is a simple here's your here's your path. You wake up, you show up at Ohio State, three years from there, you're a first round pick in the NFL draft. That's it. Okay, they better get him here. Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good job insurance for Brian Hartline. Wouldn't that be? That's like a great strategy. If you were an assistant coach and it was like you loved me, and the other coach was like, "Hey, can we talk to the guy?" They're like, "No, <laughs> no, you cannot." <laughs> no, 
that's my guy. How do you want me to quantify a relationship? <laughs> you know, is it love? Is it strong? Like, okay. When we come back, uh, running backs next. So now time for running backs three in this class, the big win berm. Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of guys. It could be, but you think, uh, what pulling James peoples out of Texas, quite a big one here. Yeah, I think it's James Peoples, not just because I I really like his talent, and I think he's comparable to J.K. Dobbins in a number of ways. Uh, I think the timing of his commitment and the ability to bounce back after Jordan Marshall picked Michigan over Ohio State was extremely important for the momentum of the class of 2024. And then it helped that Ohio State, uh, you know, we saw in all the national rankings, James Peoples keep moving up, and he ended up ahead of Jordan Marshall in a number of, of rankings. And I think that made people feel a little bit better about it. I, I I love Jordan Marshall as a prospect. I think James Peoples, if he's healthy, he struggled with that a little bit his senior year um, in San Antonio. But that the talent and the style of play that he brings fits Ohio State pretty perfect. So um, I think it was just a combination of the timing, the need, and the long-term potential here that make James Peoples the best win. Because I think I could be convinced that it was Jordan Lyle based on what my potential, my belief of his long-term ceiling is, but I think all those factors make it James Peoples. Landis, three running backs in this class. What do you think of this group overall right now for Ohio State with the guys I have committed? Yeah, good. Um, I I th- like Jordan Peoples and, and Lyle, like, you know, they look the part. I, I probably like Lyle a little more based off what, I, what I've watched. And then like Sam Williams-Dixon, I think, gives you some versatility. Like, you know, can play running back, probably can play slot receiver, can play defense. Like, he's he's an in, intriguing athlete um, that I think can help you in a, in a variety of ways. It's a big number, but they, they kind of need it, I guess. It's funny, like, last year they lost Mark Fletcher and then didn't appear to, like, really – try to fill that void all that aggressively and it's like well they're fine because all the running backs came back and then like so it's like okay then you're going to reload in the 2024 class and now it's like are all the running backs going to come back again <laughs> come back again they're going to have nine scholarship running backs on this roster next year so it's a it's a little bit of an odd situation numbers wise but I, I did think they needed to take a couple in this cycle after not taking any last year yeah but that's not likely i mean you're looking at chip train him his his eligibility will be will be done Mayan Williams, it seems unlikely overturn even with the knee injury. Travion yeah. Henderson, Travion Henderson has there was some talk about maybe him coming back when he was dealing with his own injury issues again. But then you see what he is when he's healthy, and right. I, I think the NFL long term upside is there. You don't know what you're going to get out of Evan Pryor, you know, from his physical uh, injury issues and how that knee has affected him mentally. Um, I think that this class, you you definitely need three and. Ohio State has three. Uh, I, again, Sam Williams-Dixon is that perfect type of player for Ohio State. He's from Ohio, loves Ohio State, uh, is willing to develop, maybe play running back, maybe play in the secondary. If you need another uh, body at safety, you can play on special teams. Like you, This is still college football. You still have 85 guys on the roster. You can't have everyone be a superstar playing as a true freshman. That's just not the way yeah. it works. No, this is like a, a kid, a big time dude from Texas, a big time dude from Florida, and a and a homegrown kid from Pick North is like that's that's the sweet spot, baby. Um, so this is it, Berm. It's just kind of happened this way with Tony Alford, where it's like he'll have some big hits, and then he'll have a class with some you know things that fall through. Then he comes back with some big hits again. Is this like the idea of you lose Mark Fletcher in last year's class, and now you're bringing in three guys in 2024? Is it just adjusting to things? Is it is it 
something they wish would balance out a little bit more? Is it no big deal that like they feel like they kind of had to have three in this group? Uh, they definitely felt like they had to have three. I, I think the interesting thing here, and, and again, I, we risk running very long on this episode. Tony Alford, more than maybe anybody else on the Ohio State coaching staff, his recruitments come down to relationships 100%. He, he is extremely involved with the kids he recruits, uh, their families. And because Ohio State in the last five, six years has become known as this passing school where the high-flying wide receivers, the, the big-name quarterbacks, as you start to break down NIL allocation and all that stuff, like I think sometimes the running back position gets a little bit forgotten in those conversations. And so all of the work Tony Alford does can be easily undone by Miami, for example, coming in at the last moment and last November and saying, hey, by the way, Mr. Fletcher, we have an opportunity for you if you're interested in listening. Um, and now they're doing the same thing in this cycle with Jordan Lyle. Uh, and so that's why, to me, the biggest need in this class, this cycle uh, at running back is to make sure Jordan Lyle stays committed to Ohio State and doesn't allow himself to be swayed in the same way Mark Fletcher has been. Miami also has two other running backs committed in the class of 2024, so it's not like a, a situation where they're extending him a, an, an opportunity to play earlier than Ohio State or anything like that. It's, it's, it's just the things that football is about now that you have to deal with. It's Miami specifically. That's the threat for Jordan Lyle. Why, I mean, it's a Florida kid. Why you said it's, 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 is it, do you think it's Miami or Ohio state or is there somebody else down there that you think could come in late on Jordan Lyle? I mean, I would be worried a little bit about Florida state uh, for the same reasons as Miami. Uh, they are having a big weekend this weekend. I, I think there's a, maybe at least a chance that Jordan Lyle shows up there with a, a number of the South Florida express seven on seven team um, that, that likes to make these trips together. But the problem, the the issue, the worry has been Miami for sure, because he's from Fort Lauderdale. It's you know it's twenty minutes away from home. I mean that's the that's the that's the real rub. Okay, we'll keep the running back short because it's it's kind of right there in front of us, a little bit self explanatory. Ah, wait, wait, I'm gonna say one more thing. <laughs> Jordan Marshall to Michigan, like Landis, you think like is that a guy that's gonna show up in the lives of Ohio State fans? running the ball against the ball. Like how, how good of a pull was that for Michigan in your mind to get him out of Ohio? Yeah, pretty good. I, I think that was a little bit of a misstep probably right burn by, by Ohio state to not pursue that as aggressively as they should have earlier Early. than they did. And they kind of left that door open for a, a good program like Michigan. that does a good job developing running backs and runs the ball a whole lot. Like I totally see why that would be enticing to a player like Jordan Marshall. So yeah, it could, it could play out that way, Doug. I think that, you know, two, three years from now, people are, you know, banging their head against the wall, asking themselves how Ohio State could let that kid get out of Ohio. Let me just say this, and I'm not. This is not a prediction by any sort of of measure. Um, if Jim Harbaugh is not the head coach at Michigan moving forward, or if there are any long term ramifications for Michigan's malfeasance, and Jordan Lyle ends up flipping to Miami, I would be hard-pressed to believe that Ohio State would not make a very aggressive swing at bringing Jordan Marshall back to Ohio State. Now, we'll see. But that, those are a lot of ifs, but like, there is a world, at least, Doug, where Jordan Marshall is in the future for Ohio State fans where maybe it would be wearing scarlet and gray. Who knows? All right. That'll wrap up running back. And that'll bring us to tight end. Uh, Berm, the big win. You, I think, is because his last name uh, sounds French. 
Max LeBlanc, yeah, I, a nod yeah, to I, me. Much appreciated. He's a big win. Yeah, I couldn't go on the Philly Billy and French Vanilli show without having <laughs> an ode to yeah. uh, a Francais uh, in this episode. So, uh, no, I, I really just like Max LeBlanc as a player. I mean, he he's he's got some work to do as a blocker, which Ohio State is obviously uh, relies on heavily from the tight end position. But he's a very natural pass catcher, six foot five, two hundred twenty five pounds, runs really well. Uh, it's a kid that I think. It has has the potential to be a, a dangerous pass catcher for the Buckeyes out of uh, the position, and um, he was offered by a number of schools, Michigan, Penn State, et cetera, that that are more known for their tight end usage, and and chose Ohio State after a very um, brief courtship between uh, Keenan Bailey uh, and the Buckeyes and himself, and I, I think that that speaks volumes for where Ohio State can take this position in the future, and so that's. Probably why I think you know you can look at it from a position ranking or uh, Demarion Witten and his athletic upside. The other tight end committed for Ohio State in twenty twenty four, but I think that it's it's the ability to look at what Keenan Bailey did here in such a short time that gives you hope for what this position can be in the future. Demarion Witten out of Glenville, as you said, the other tight end in this class. Landis, could the big win just be uh, Jelani Thurman still here? Making progress. Oh, baby. Like, we're still excited about him, right? True freshman tight end. Yeah. I, I think this position is in a really interesting spot because you're going to lose Kate Stover. G Scott could come back. If G Scott decides he wants to try his hand to play in pro football after this year, I kind of think Ohio State might need to look in the transfer portal to bring a tight end in. Because um, then you're left with like Joe Royer, who, sorry to say, just like hasn't been available to play a whole lot. You don't know what you have there. Um, Bennett Christian, who's suspended this year, like uh, who I like as a blocker, but I, it's hard to say what his future might be. Love Jelani Thurman, but it's kind of a bare cupboard once you get past him, I think, a, a little bit. And I don't like, I like the guys they have in this class, but like Berm said, like, I don't think Max LeBlanc's going to be ready to block in the Big Ten for probably two years. And Demarion Witten is like 210 pounds. I don't know if he'll ever be ready to, <laughs> to block in the Big Ten. I'm not, I'm not 100% convinced that he's a tight end. Um, so I think there's a there's a little bit of, of work here to do, but yeah, you know, for, I love Jelani. If Jelani's going to be the, the the guy next year, I'm all, I'm all about that. But I worry a little bit about the about the depth here. I, I like the combination of Bennett Christian and Jelani. Um, yeah, uh, I, I like. I mean, we, it's it's that position. So much of it relies on Joe Royer's availability and what ends up happening with him um, physically. What he just can't seem to get on the field. So. Uh, it, it's a it's a major problem for Ohio State. I mean, Sam Hart's still on the roster, but even on a weekend like this past one where Ohio State is without Joe Royer and Cade Stover, Patrick Gerd, the walk-on, is the backup tight end to G. Scott on Saturday. And beyond him, it was Jelani Thurman and then Sam Hart. So it's just, you know, that, that, that roster is in a state of flux. But again, I think for me, it's about Keenan Bailey and his ability to connect with recruits is going to be significantly different than what Kevin Wilson was doing in the last few years. And Keenan Bailey will go out and recruit actual tight ends. And I think that's the biggest difference here. Um, and that's why, you know, for me, the the, the microcosm of, of, of what you gain from Bailey can be extrapolated into the relationship he's built over time already with Nathan Roberts, who I think is the number one tight end in the country in the class of 2025, in my opinion. He's a 2025 from Oklahoma. His dad went to Oklahoma. But Nate Roberts has a ton of relationships and family in the Pickerington area, but also some down in the Wheeling, West Virginia area. who has got a lot of, of big-time ties to Ohio. 
And then you add that to the Keenan Bailey relationship, the multiple visits he's already made to Ohio State. So you can look at the 24 class and say, well, maybe you need to make a, a move in the portal. But all of this is focused on the biggest need in 2025, which is landing Nate Roberts and keeping him uh, from staying home and going to Oklahoma. O- o- Ohio State, the way they've started to use the tight end is significantly improved over what they did in recent years. And then if you compare it and contrast it to the way Oklahoma uses their tight end, it's Ohio State is actually using the tight end far more than Oklahoma. So that's one of the weirdest like abilities for Ohio State to go, hey, yeah, we actually are the team that throws the tight end, not those mm. guys. So that's kind of funny. Do you think that's de- that will come down in the class of 2025 to Oklahoma and Ohio State? Or are there going to be a bunch of other programs that throw to the tight end more that also are going to be involved there? Uh, I think that uh, for Nate, he's a very relationship-driven person. He was committed to Notre Dame earlier in the cycle, uh, committed to Notre Dame actually in this in June, a week after he visited Ohio State for the first time, uh, reopened his recruitment two months later, and it's been all Oklahoma and Ohio State since. And I, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. How big do you think this is, Landis? And by the way, how much do you think the way Cade Stover has been used this year and what Cade Stover is probably going to be in the NFL draft. How much do you think that factors into Ohio State's tight end recruiting? A lot, because I think you can trace a, a lot of the credit for that development back to Keenan Bailey, who's like who is now the position coach and will be moving forward. Like I, th- I think that's a pretty good sell for them. Um, I think Nate Roberts is huge. Like he's a complete tight end, from what I can see. Um, they have like Luca Gilbert's in that class too. He's an intriguing prospect. He's gigantic. What's he like six eight? Yeah. yeah, he's a he's a big kid. Um Amari Winston, is he like realistic? Interesting. Uh, uh Ohio State again, I mean, wants two in the class of 2025, like they have in 2024, because as you mentioned, the cupboard is a little bit bare and they would prefer not to go to the transfer portal ever, but if they have to, they will for probably a one-year rental. But in 25, they want two. Uh, Nate Roberts is clearly the number one, and then they would be interested in a guy like Amari Winston from Georgia, um, or uh, there's a kid from Tennessee whose name is escaping me right now, and I apologize. Uh, he's visited multiple times. Really good player, Eli Owens, um, who they would a similar body style, similar type, more of that H back six three two twenty pound range guy like G Scott. Um, but Amari Winston, they thought that they were really in good position there. Until like the last month, things have started to change in his recruitment a little bit as it seems like he's a touch more focused on um, other NIL-related stuff than Ohio State was anticipating. Uh, But he is visiting this weekend for the Michigan State game, so we'll see if that relationship can get back to where it was because Ohio State felt for a while that they were the clear-cut front-runner in that recruitment. So um, bottom line for the Buckeyes is that Nate Roberts is priority one and I was talking to some folks on the field on Saturday in New Jersey, and the conversation was, if Nate Roberts was at Ohio State now, he'd be the third best tight end playing on Saturday. So, hmm. All right, everyone can take a break, um, take a breath, get a snack, go to the bathroom if you need to. That wraps up the offensive part of this recruiting, recruiting podcast. Uh, when we come back, we will dig in on the defense next on Kings of Columbus. Here we are now on the defensive side of the ball. We'll start with the defensive line and Berm like a, it's a big combo. Big win on the defensive line. Justin Scott and Edric Houston like two five-star dudes basically, right? That's that's hard to argue with, isn't it? Yeah, if you're looking at um what you needed in this class, uh you needed 
big-time defensive linemen. And Larry Johnson right now has three of them committed, two of them five stars in Edric Houston and Justin Scott. Uh, Eric Mensa, the Virginia Tech flip, is the third. and But uh, the centerpiece for sure is Justin Scott and Edric Houston, who are two of the top 10 players in the country, according to pretty much every ranking, and not just top 10 defensive linemen, but um, top 10 prospects overall. So uh, it is a great starting point for Larry Johnson in Ohio State, and, and you don't want to undersell its importance. Um, but those guys are going to be counted on pretty heavily uh, next year. But even if even with that, if they don't find someone to compliment them on the outside, then I think that there will still be question marks about this defensive line group. Landis, when we think about Justin Scott and Edric Houston, can we help fans? Like, how should they be thinking about these guys? Any comparisons, type of impact? What do you think? Uh, I I would liken Edric Houston to maybe like a Draymond Jones, like a bigger pass rusher, um, higher higher ceiling, I think. Um, but like can play inside and possibly outside, I guess, depending on how, how big he gets, but definitely brings a, a pass rushing element, even if you think he might be more of a tackle. Justin Scott, I think, is a little more difficult because they don't typically get tackles like this. Like I, I don't I don't know who I'd compare him to. Like the other five star tackle they've gotten in recent memory is like Teron Vincent, but I don't I don't think he's comparable to what Justin Scott is as like a big, long, beefy, athletic dude. Like Justin Scott looks like the kind of guy that like the Georgias and Alabamas of the world get routinely and he just so happened to be in Chicago and Ohio State got him. So I, I I don't know that I have a great uh reference point for him in terms of players that Ohio State has got, which I think makes him like special, unique and interesting because I yeah. I think they've needed to get a guy like this. They're again it's the same conversation as offensive line. They're hard to get because there's not many around here. It's pretty rare that a guy like Justin Scott is is in the Midwest. But when he is, you have to get him if you're Ohio State, which is why it was I, I think it's by f- for as good as Jeremiah Smith is, and like I said, the thing earlier about throwing generation around too much, like Jeremiah Smith, I think is that I think Justin Scott is a much more significant win for Ohio State in this cycle. Yeah, that's why I said earlier those big guys, those big guys who want home cooked meals for mama, and they're, they're not around very often. So Ohio State actually benefited in this case uh, because uh, the family and Justin Scott wanted to be closer to Chicago. It was a three team battle between Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame. It was a situation where Ohio State, because their NIL, which is normally held against them in, when you're dealing with some recruitments, uh, was is significantly in a better place than Michigan and Notre Dame. So they they were able to really put together a plan that they think will will be long term best for for Justin Scott. Um, I think if you look at his potential, his impact, his size, the way he plays, his athleticism, uh, you almost have to go back to like Dan Wilkinson back in the early '90s for Ohio State to find a player that's comparable. Uh, obviously Dan was the number one ranked uh, number one player that they picked in the NFL draft uh, at one point. So, uh, there's high expectations, but the, uh, the size, the way he moves, the ability to, uh, eat up blockers is, is and still make plays is, is next level ready. So, um, with Cedric Houston, you look at him and Ohio state believes he's going to be a defensive end. They believe he'll play on the outside. Uh, I look at his body style and I agree. It's probably more Draymond Jones, Jay Sean Cornell body style. Um, but his motor is, is crazy. He's got a Nick Bosa motor. And so you wonder if that will allow him to, to be more of a, of a havoc maker on the outside. Justin Scott, definitely a bigger recruit than this guy, but 
you know, I can remember when Ohio State played LSU in the national title game in 07, and, and they had Glenn Dorsey and Ricky Jean Francois, and it was like, Ohio State doesn't have guys like that. And then a couple of years later, they got Jonathan Hankins out of Detroit, and it was like, oh, okay, like that's, it's a guy with huge size and great feet and athleticism, and Jonathan Hankins like made a huge impact at Ohio State and is still in the NFL. So if Justin Scott is like that plus, like that's, again, you, you notice the guys who are a little bit different. So then Need Berm is still like pure, like get after the passer edge dude. Is that where we are with the need? 100%. I mean, it's a situation that goes back to a year ago where Ohio State was unable to land Damon Wilson, Keon Keeley, or uh, Mateo Uyangalale. And so when you go over in that group, that need um, amplifies in the next cycle. And here we are. It's November 8th again. Uh, and they don't have that guy. So this weekend is important. As I mentioned uh, earlier, Amaris Williams, um, a, a Florida commitment who's making his second trip to Ohio State uh, for the Michigan State game. Like, that's a big one. Uh, he, but even he doesn't have like the body type where you look at him and you say, oh, six foot five, 250 pound edge rusher. There's no Chase Youngs. That guy is Dylan Stewart, who's committed to South Carolina. I know Ohio State is at least still working that and talking with Dylan Stewart. Um, that they would love to find a way to get him on campus and and really make some noise in that recruitment. But those guys are rare, I mean, and and uh, you've got to connect with them. And I think part of the frustration in this specific cycle is that you have a guy like Dylan Stewart from the Washington, D.C. area, which is known as Larry Johnson's stomping grounds, and Ohio State got beat by South Carolina. That uh, That is hard for people to swallow. Um, and the Buckeyes need to find some way to offset that. They've also offered another defensive tackle, Carlin Jones, who's committed to Nebraska. He was supposed to visit this weekend. That's going to happen instead for the Minnesota game. They'll take that as an official visit. Um, they've offered Deshaun Warner, a, a, a lengthy defensive end from out in Arizona. He's committed to Kansas, has not scheduled a visit. Seems like he's pretty content with his Kansas commitment. And, and you look at those, you're like, man, that's kind of weird. We're living in this world where Kansas is able to hold off Ohio State. For a defensive end, but uh, the, the the late offer, maybe the late evaluation, leads to a situation where here it is, middle of November, and these kids are in the playoffs, and their Buckeyes home schedule is wrapping up in two weekends. How do you get someone out to visit? So now you aim hopefully for early December official visits, where um, it's more personal time and and less uh, game time. Can I just think of Kenyatta Jackson as a recruit? Like we can just <laughs> pretend that next year when he's a junior that he's just like a, a rip roaring freshman that just came in out of nowhere. Landis, is that okay? Yeah, I think, I think that would, that would help you get over the fact that they've, they've missed on too many edge rushers the last couple of years. It's weird. Like Larry Johnson in a lot of ways, like earned his reputation by what he does with edge rushers. And like they did get Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry. Like that is, that is worth mentioning and remembering, but the last few cycles has been like, they've done really good. I think on the interior, like, Go back to Tyleek Williams. I I like Caden McDonald quite a bit. I like Hero Canoe. I like Jason Moore. Is probably more of a three tech than a defensive end. And I love what he did with Justin Scott and, and Edric Houston, who I think might be more of an interior guy too in this class. But it's like, what what happened? <laughs> Why did it flip? I'm not even saying it's necessarily a bad thing because I I actually do think the if you're if you can give me if you say like we're going to give you the option of getting an absolute game wrecker who is unblockable. Would you rather have him be on the interior or an edge guy? I think I'd rather have him on the interior. I think that messes up your stuff far more as an offense. 
but it's a little bit of a pivot, I think, from where Ohio State has lived traditionally, especially with Larry Johnson. It's like you you expect the edge rushers, and now it's like, oh, we're now we're getting the the big beefy tackles and maybe something less than at the edge positions. Yeah, and Kenyatta Jackson, Doug, you have to view it more of of a transfer portal edition because you're likely to get one year out of him uh, at that point. So, uh, I think <laughs> I don't think people should examine this class and overlook the potential of Edric Houston as an edge rusher, as an outside guy, because he is a ferocious pass rusher. And I think the combination of him and Justin Scott side by side could be very, very impactful for Ohio State down the road. But you just, you're missing that other type. And again, as I said, when it comes to wide receiver, when it comes to offensive tackle, when it comes to defensive end and quarterback, like NIL plays a huge part in those positions now and moving forward. And so Buckeyes will be continuing to maybe be in fights against programs that you wouldn't traditionally expect them to be in. Can uh, can uh, Justin Scott play both ways? Who do I need to talk to about getting him to play guard? I mean, maybe. I'd like to see him line up at fullback. Right. <laughs> he does have a, a few uh, go to his huddle page. That's He's got like a 27 yard touchdown. <laughs> oh, oh Caden Curry can do it. He can do it, right? Yeah. 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 He, he can do a lot of things. Big time player. All right. That'll wrap up defensive line. Uh, coming up next is linebacker. So at this linebacker spot, Berm, like it's got to, the wind's got to be Peyton Pierce, right? Because that's a pretty good one. And there's maybe not a million candidates for this. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to like gloss over what I think Garrett Stover can be as a player down the road, but I, it would have been a major upset if Ohio State didn't land Garrett Stover once they offered him. Um, similar to Kate's cousin, big walnut. Yeah. Right. I mean, local kid, Kate's cousin. I mean, it'd be pretty. It'd be devastating if Ohio State didn't land him. But the only reason that Ohio State could have potentially gotten beat in the Garrett Stover recruitment was because of James Laurinaitis, who was recruiting Garrett when he was at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, when James was offered the opportunity at Ohio State in January, uh, the Buckeyes offered Peyton Pierce like a day before James Laurinaitis was made public as the, uh, you know, grad assistant at linebacker. So I think there was some carry over there like maybe James saying hey by the way you might want to get a head start on this kid because I love him uh and Jim Knowles went and saw Peyton Pierce down in Texas in January next day two days later James Laurinaitis is announced uh a month later he's visiting Ohio State and a week later he's committed to Ohio State so um it's one of those situations where you see the impact of James Laurinaitis as a recruiter it's an impact full decision because you look at Notre Dame and Ohio State going after a lot of the same type of people, a lot of the same types of families. And uh, anytime you can win that, if you're Ohio State, especially because they lost Kingston Viamuasa to Notre Dame in this cycle, um, it, it's a big win. So Peyton Pierce has been struggling with injury through his junior year. So I think a lot of people maybe took a little bit of a, a, a look at him and thought, oh, he's maybe maybe he's not that maybe he's not that guy. Um, his nickname is Superman in in high school. Like the kid oh, does everything. Like the kid Eric does Lever everything Williams. for the team. Yes. Exactly. Exactly the same. That's the comparison I was going to make. Uh, these two are very similar players, Peyton Pierce and Eric Lover Williams. A um, lot of the same, man. A lot of the same hobbies and everything. Um, but uh, Peyton Pierce is awesome, and his family's awesome. He had 21 tackles in his game last weekend. Uh, he, he's healthy. He's dominating in at, at Lovejoy High School in Texas. And uh, if there's one thing I trust, it's Texas linebackers. So. Uh, I don't, I mean, Ohio State hasn't always had huge success with them. Who can forget Mike Mitchell, the abusement park? Um, but this, this one, 
uh, I think uh, has everything you want uh, as a true, you know, middle linebacker type. Peyton Pierce is dominating. That's my Reverend Lovejoy, right? Lovejoy High School. Uh, so do they, so like need Landis, do they need linebackers or do, or do we maybe think Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers are just going to be like playing linebacker at Ohio State through 2029? Tom, Tommy amazingly does have eligibility. He does <laughs> he, for real. So yeah, so does Steel. Yeah, so they could. they could. They could come back. I don't think they're going to, but they certainly could. Uh, CJ yeah. Hicks would just get in a car and start driving to California and just drive into the ocean. That can't for real. The Atlantic Ocean is way closer. No, but he would need time to think about what had happened to him. Because huh. you look like they have. It's like, oh, they, they've missed on some linebacker recruits and stuff. And we talk about like what they need to do. And, and you know, we know the guys they haven't gotten lately, but they also have like CJ Hicks and Gabe Powers and Reed Carrico and some guys who were like pretty highly rated linebackers when they got here who like can't sniff the field. So I'm like, I don't know. Maybe they don't need linebackers at all. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they need any more in this class. Um, which is why I like the I like the spin that we put on on the need here. At the yeah. So the need, the need is what the need is. The, uh, it's just what everybody thinks. Everybody, everyone watching, everyone listening. James Ornida should be the linebackers coach, and we all know how it could happen. They also could like if they're going to lift the rule on the limit of full time assistant coaches. He's the first guy up who would get the thing. So. How much of a factor? How much of a difference do you think it would make Landis if James Laurinaitis was a full time assistant who could actually go out and be on the road recruiting and doing this stuff? Uh, a, a huge difference. Like I, uh, Jim Knowles is a really good defensive coordinator. Jim Knowles is not a really good recruiter, nor do I sense he has a tremendous interest in doing it. But someone's got to do it. Like I, th- I think I loved some of the linebackers they were in on last year, and I think if James Laurinaitis was the point man, they would have gotten one of them, maybe like a Tacka Curtis or a Troy Bowles or. Um, Tosilia kind of, I guess, wasn't really a linebacker, but, um, so I think they need it. I think I, it's, you know, they play two linebacker system is linebacker, the most important position in college football anymore. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know the positional value of it has probably lessened a little bit over the years, but I think it's still important and they need to be hitting on the guys they, they want there. And, and I think that's just hard when you don't have a position coach who's fully engaged with bringing, bringing those guys in. And I think James Lauren, I just would be. Yeah, he is as close as you get to Brian Hartline on the defensive side of the ball. And I think, it, you know, Bill's point there is pretty important because Ohio State is still trying to recruit linebackers at the traditional spots, but they're also still trying to find a way to recruit the jack position, which doesn't really get utilized at all. So you have a player like Justin Hill at Cincinnati's Winton Woods High School, who's a 2025 prospect, who's a big time top 100 type kid that the Buckeyes are recruiting at the jack. Um, without really any evidence of what that means. And so uh, the more opportunity you have for James Laurinaitis to to mitigate that confusion by just having a better relationship and being involved on a day-to-day basis, um, you you should take advantage of. And um, bottom line for Ohio State, I think, is this. If James Laurinaitis is not a full-time assistant next year, I don't think James Laurinaitis will be at Ohio State next year. So he's had opportunities from the NFL. He's got other things that he could potentially look into. And I think that the Buckeyes need to make sure that this guy is a part of the program moving forward. And and people can look at the linebacker play this year. And and if you want to say it, oh, they've taken a step back. James, look at this coincidence. Like that's none of that stuff is real. Uh, his impact on the recruiting trail is real. Period. I'm trying to envision what it's like for Ohio State to try to recruit a Jack right now. 
It's like, oh, do you have any film of what the Jack does? We don't. <laughs> what position would you like me to play at the Jack? What does he do? We don't know. We never use yeah, it. I'm, have I, you I, had I, anyone play the Jack before? We had a five-star recruit play it. What happened to him? Oh, he was terrible at it. Oh, what happened when you made him not the Jack? Oh, he got much better. So you would like me to be what? The Jack. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a little confusing. The James Lorditis is Ohio State. And, and so everyone knows. Like we're, We all think the whole world thinks they should get rid of a special teams coach. And then the 10th full-time assistant is James Lorditis. It balances out the staff. It does all the things we're talking about here. They split up special teams duties. Yes or no, Berm, will James Laurinaitis be a full-time assistant, the full-time linebackers coach for Ohio State next year? Yes or no? Yes. Bill? Yes. Yes, he will be. So it'll it'll work out, but you can see that it's 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 kind of affecting them right now. Let's do safeties now. Berm, what's the big win at safety right now in recruiting for Ohio State? Uh, safety has been a position with a challenge, uh, in finding big wins. And so right now I think you have to look at Jalen McClain as the big win. He's, uh, a player that Georgia wanted. And so I consider that important. Um, he's a guy that Perry Eliano did a nice job establishing a relationship with early and, and building that connection, visited Ohio state officially in June, committed on his official visit, wasted no time has not wavered at all, has not looked at anyone else. The defense, the safeties have played extremely well. It is uh, easy at this point, uh, getting easier for Ohio State to point out exactly why this position is so important for them. Uh, Jalen McClain bought into it early, and uh, I think that uh, his upside is, is really special. Um, I, I don't know if he's a Jordan Fuller type or if he's more of a Lathan Ransom type, maybe a combination of those two. I don't know if he has the... Um, the physicality of Lathan Ransom or the the high football acumen that Jordan uh, did, but I think he's a, a nice, you know, poor man's version of of of, a, of that combination. And I, I think he's a player that will will play early for Ohio State. So uh, if all those things make me consider him to win, I'd love Leroy Roker, the the safety that Ohio State added to their 2024 class in October. Uh, he only had an offer from Ohio State, Old Dominion, and Iowa when 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 the Buckeyes offered him. Florida State got involved and, and Miami got involved and others did after. But uh, as I've talked about on Talking Stuff a number of times, like if you have to ch- ask me whose development and evaluation um, I'm picking at defensive back in the last five years between Iowa and Ohio State, I would pick Iowa's. And so when you have uh, Iowa doing the dirty work and Ohio State getting the reward, I, I also think that's a big win, but I, I'd go with Jalen McClay. So then the need is they got to get a dude back here. They got to get a dude. They got to get a five. This is what you said, Brian. They got to get a five-star safety in the class of 2025. And Landis, it's just tough because you look at the guys that Ohio State was in on in recent years at safety, and you look at a guy like Xavier Wampa at Iowa, who is a good player. You look at a guy every time Alabama mentions Caleb Downs, and Nick Saban is like, "Am I, I going to do like devil horns for Nick Saban?" Uh, uh, I I am the Prince of Darkness, and I've never seen a freshman safety like Caleb Downs. It's like, oh, man, I can't, like, right? So you thought Ohio State was going to get Caleb Downs. They don't get K.J. Bolden in this class. Like, you can see Landis, like, they're in on the right guys, and not it's not happening. And then, you know, Sonny Styles is down the road, and his dad played here. It's like, okay, well, that worked out. That was a good Mm -hmm. one for Ohio State. One more year. That's what I mean. So it's like... You know, Lathan Ransom's been a good player. Josh Proctor's good, been a good player. People like Malik Hartford. People liked Kai Stokes when he got here, right? But like they cut, like 
it's pretty obvious they they need to to convert on one of these big time dudes that it feels like they've been finishing second a lot. Yeah, I mean they have good players, right? You you mentioned a lot of them there. Like I, I it's not that I dislike what they've done at safety. Like they've they've brought in some guys who I think are going to make big big impacts here. It's just that the position is so important to what they want to do under yeah. Jim Knowles, and it's like you really like to see them um, bolster what they've done by winning a Caleb Downs, a KJ Bolden, um, even like a was as a Quan Patterson was that the other guy Berman and yeah, uh, yeah. So Miami, sorry. Miami, yeah. So like they've they've been right there and just haven't closed the deal. It's a it's a little it's a little frustrating. It, it's and it I don't think they're like lagging behind at safety um because it turned out malik harford was like a really good player um and a highly ranked prospect um and like that was a good job by perry perry Iliano to come over here from cincinnati and say like we need to get we need to bring this guy to ohio state um but there's just another step there i think you want to see them take it take it this position that they haven't taken um in the last two cycles and i and i thought it would take a little bit of proof of concept and they probably didn't have that after year one with the way that the season ended uh but i do think they're getting that now with the safety play this season. So I'm curious what that might mean for them in future cycles. Yeah. Caleb Downs, his recruitment. Uh, I mean, he, he told me a number of times he wanted to see what the Ohio state defense was going to be. Um, and the evidence that they put forward a year ago was not convincing that it was going to be better. Um, it is much better right now and it is much better because of the safety play. And that's why a guy like Fahim Delane, who is on, on the graphic in front of us, um, you know, a five-star from Good Council High School in Maryland. He's coming to visit this weekend. Ohio State really believes that they're in a great spot with Fahim. Um, Jonah Williams, five-star from Galveston, Texas, visited two weekends ago. Uh, he, he's got some really key relationships in Texas that, uh, Perry Eliano is from Texas. Like they're, they're, they're in there. Uh, DJ Pickett from down in, in Florida. His uncle was Ryan Pickett, who played at Ohio State, oh. uh, in the 2000, in the early 2000s. Like you have ties. He's actually, you know, Maybe he'll stay in the South. He's also got some family up in uh, the Detroit area. So Michigan's heavily involved there. But there's guys in this class that the Buckeyes are are heavily in on already in the 2025 class. Uh, to me, Fahim Delane is one that makes the most sense. He, he's a, a virtual replicate, a replicant of uh, Lisa Ransom. I think he fits perfectly uh, in that role for Ohio State, and that's what he wants to do. A big weekend for the Buckeyes with him visiting to, to try and separate there. But it's absolutely imperative that they bring one of these big time five star safeties in in the class of 2025. But Berm, is there any through line of like why they've fallen just short? I mean, is it is it more that the the defense wasn't putting it out there in a way that persuaded these guys? Was it NIL stuff? Is it just bad luck here, bad luck there? What has it been at safety? Again, I mean, uh, the demographics is destiny in a lot of ways, right? So. Uh, if there's not a lot of them around here, the, the easiest thing for Ohio State is to recruit great players from Ohio. So that's what you see with Malik Hartford. That's what you see with Sonny Styles. Uh, they, those guys don't always exist up here. So some of it is is just geography. Some of it is NIL. When you look at like the KJ Bolden situation this year, uh, that's a guy who, uh, at least tangentially, Perry Eliani was related to. So like there is, it's his, his, his mom is his cousin. So like you think you should win that battle, but uh, that's not how it works these days. Um, Alabama and, and their defense is certainly what won over Caleb Downs and his family. Um, I mean, Caleb Downs is from Georgia, by the way. Let's not forget that, that he left Georgia, the two-time defending national champion, and went to Alabama. Uh, so even even Georgia still losing recruits that uh, you were like, how the hell do we lose that one? 
Georgia. That's where KJ Bolden lives. He's going to Florida State. So like, it's not, it's not easy. And that when you're recruiting three or four players that are the best at that position, and everyone in the country is recruiting those same three or four players, it's, uh, it, it becomes a, a crapshoot. It's not something. I just think it's unfair. A lot of times, people expect Ohio State to win every single recruitment, and Again, if you're dealing with that position, safety is a is a weird spot. There's generally three or four guys every year that are like that level. Uh, everyone is recruiting those three or four guys, and you're lucky if you win one out of every ten. All right, let's go to the final position we're going to do, where they do have some guys in the backyard. So we'll wrap it up at corner, Berm, and the win here. Again, it's, uh, I have a tendency to do this. It's like, how come they didn't get the national guys? Ah, they got the guy down the road. Who cares? Of course they did. But Aaron Scott's a big deal, and uh, you are rightly putting him as the big win at corner for Ohio State. Yeah, because, again, Ohio State's defense in the last couple of years had been uh, difficult to support, let's be honest. <laughs> and a major push was made by Michigan uh, toward Aaron Scott under the pretense that Ohio State's defense was not good. It was not going to get better. And why would you go play in that disaster? Um, Aaron Scott took a leap of faith in the summer and believed what Tim Walton was doing uh, and believed in the potential improvement for the cornerbacks at Ohio State. And he's been rewarded by what he's seen now throughout this season. And I know Aaron feels great about it, but there was a certainly a moment or two or 10 or 20 when it felt like this was going to go the other way. So for Ohio State to end up uh, beating Michigan and Charles Woodson and all of the talk about being the villain and all this stuff for Aaron Scott was was absolutely uh, huge, uh, and you cannot discount it. Now, you can also not look past Bryce West in this class, who's a super athlete from Cleveland Glenville. I think Bryce potentially could play safety uh, down the road, so that's part of why I picked Aaron here, uh, because Aaron at six foot two is a legit you know, outside corner and everyone knows that uh, and miles lockhart from arizona who maybe loves ohio state more than any player in this class does so you you should be grateful for that as well but aaron's length his is uh athleticism and the fact that you went head to head against michigan a michigan team that has a much better claim in the last couple of years about what their defense is uh than ohio state does and the buckeyes got it done and this is one of those things landis where we know there are certain positions that you're more likely to find in Ohio, maybe than other positions, mm -hmm. but to have two guys in Ohio, like Aaron Scott and Bryce West, you know, it's like, Hey, Marshawn Lattimore was from Ohio and Denzel Ward was from Ohio and Gary on Conley was from Ohio. This is quite a, you know, sometimes you got to go get Jeff Okuda or Jordan Hancock or that kind of thing. But this is a, what a treat for everybody in the building at the Woody Hayes when you've got, you know, two defensive backs like this in Ohio. Yeah, Jermaine Matthews is also from Ohio, who I think is yeah. going to follow in that lineage. Um, yeah, it's great. I, I don't, <clears throat> you know, there were probably some national guys in the cycle previous that you wanted to see Tim Walton go get, um, but they ended up with Jermaine Matthews and Calvin Simpson Hunt, who I also love as, as, as a prospect out of Texas. And then he was just fortunate enough, Tim Walton was to have these guys in his backyard. But like, as Burr mentioned, like Aaron Scott, especially like required real work to win him. It just wasn't like a slam dunk. This kid is going to walk the Columbus if we ask him to. And I think they had to fight off some people for, for Bryce West as well. So like sometimes those, re those recruitments are, are a walk in the park for Ohio state. And, and sometimes they're real recruitments. And I think both of these were, um, and I think Tim Walton did a good job. Like as, as someone who was a critical of, the recruiting and the play on the field in Tim Walton's first year, um, he's bounced back in a major way, man, with the way they're playing right now and and getting 
the three guys they have in this class. Like I, I want to make sure we remember Miles Lockhart as Burnside because I think he could be a good player uh, as well. Uh, it's a situation where a year ago, uh, Tim Walton brought in, as you mentioned, uh, Calvin Simpson Hunt and, and Jermaine Matthews, but he also was integral in in bringing Davis and Nick Benoson mm-hmm. from Old Miss. So, like you, you bring in three really good players, the defense improves, and now all of a sudden you take the next step. Uh, but for any, not any, because I guess there's players like Tavian St. Clair who will, will fit into this category, but nearly any top 100 type skill player in the country at this point in college football is going to be a different type of recruitment than it was five years ago. It's going to require much more energy and effort to win that recruiting battle than it did five years ago. And uh, Ohio State did not take either the recruitment of Bryce West or Aaron Scott for granted, but winning the Aaron Scott one uh, is a difference maker. So then the need is go get the best corner in the class of 2025 in Texas. Uh, no yeah, no big deal. Sometimes you need to, to do that. You need to go get the Jeff Okudas and uh, this uh, Devin Sanchez from Houston North Shore High School is as close as it gets in the class of 2025. He's the number one ranked corner in the nation. He's a top five player uh, almost across the board. Six foot two, 185 pounds, everything you want in a corner. Decision being made on January 6th. Ohio State is in the lead. Now you have uh, two months to not screw it up. So good luck. Uh, it's it, getting him is so important. And it's not just because you need a big time corner in the class because Denzel Burke and, and uh, Davis Nigmanosin and, and even Jermaine Matthews could be gone, you know, after that 2025 season. Like there's, there is a, a confluence of events here between Devin Sanchez, uh, Dorian Brew, who's now in Texas, who's a, a highly ranked defensive back who I think could play safety for Ohio state, maybe not corner necessarily, uh, you know, from tra- transferred from Clayton Northmont to, uh, to Texas. Now there's Trey McNutt in the class of 2025 uh, up in Shaker Heights. There's Blake Woodby who's already committed a top 30 player according to rivals.com at corner. Like this is a class that has a potential to be really, really special in the secondary in the, in the 2025 cycle. And a guy like Devin Sanchez committing early could bring in, Guys like Dorian Brew or Fahim Delane at safety, or, or you know that it's a it's a door opener in so many ways for Ohio State nationally. If you look back and you remember the twenty twenty or twenty eighteen class, uh, I'm sorry, twenty seventeen, where you had Baron Browning and Jeff Okuda and J.K. Dobbins and Sean Wade and Chase Young. Like once the the kids nationally start to see what other kids nationally are doing, it makes a major impact. And so Devin Sanchez can be sort of that Pied Piper uh, in in the class and, and help bring guys that maybe Tavian St. Clair um, isn't going to be able to do by himself. And, and, and that's, or Eli Lee, the, you know, the 2025 commitments that are from a local may not have that sort of sway, but Devin Sanchez will. Can, so I, I love this stuff. Like when Ohio state establishes a foothold at a national high school powerhouse, like St. Joe's prep, like they've done, or like Buford down in Georgia, Houston, North shore, is a monster. Like they have dudes every year. I remember Ari and I, Ari Wasserman and I, if everyone knows who Ari is, went to Houston North Shore after Ohio State won the 2014 national title. We did a road trip. We went to a bunch of different places. One of those places was North Shore to like explore the idea of, of whether or not Ohio State could ever get in at a place like that in Texas that has dudes every year, but they usually stay in and around Texas. Um, could this open a door there? Like if they get Devin Sanchez, would that be overstating the importance? If I say like, Oh, now how high they can go back to a place like North shore every year. If they get Devin Sanchez. No, it's not overstating it. I mean, if it even look, it's not about the high school necessarily just as it's about the area. Uh, if you think back again to that 2017 class, I mean, there are still kids now who talk about Jeff Okuda, who 
in Texas. Oh, Jeff Okuda went to Ohio State. I could do that. Uh, it, North Shore uh, always has a ton of talent. Not always do they have a ton of talent that fits what Ohio State is looking for uh, off the field and, and character-wise and all that stuff. So that's sort of been the rub there. Uh, Devin Sanchez is not that sort of concern. Uh, this is the, the right type of player and the right type of person and family that the Buckeyes want to build a program around. And um, Tim Walton and Ryan Day have made damn sure that he knows that. And as I said, once a player like that says yes to Ohio State, it opens up not just his high school, but the entire area of Houston, which has not been easy for Ohio State to get into. But when Ohio State won, got Dobbins and, and Browning and uh, Okuda out of Texas in the 2017 class, the University of Texas was a mess, right? Like mm -hmm. the fact that Texas is kind of, you know, it's certainly better than it was back then. Texas A&M is still throwing around a bunch of NIL money. How much more difficult is it to pull? Like, I mean, obviously, Ohio State pounced in that moment in the state of Texas. Is how much more difficult is it going to be to pull a kid out of Houston if Steve Sarkeesian has it going on a little bit with the Longhorns? Harder, uh, for sure. I mean, it's one of the things that NIL has done to help balance the game a little bit around the country. Um, Ohio State was great in the Urban Meyer area of locating and identifying weak spots around the country when the, the traditional powers in that area were down and then jumping on it and capitalizing on it. That is not as easy to do because if you're a program like Missouri, for example, and you are struggling, maybe you're, you know, you're on the come up, but you're trying to take that next step. You can you can say, here, this is what we can do. Texas A&M in, in the Houston area is a prime example of that. Like They're not very good, uh, but they can continue to say, hey, you know what? You're the piece we need, and we'll, we're willing to pay for it. Um, but then you have LSU across, you know, in the same area making a big impact. Houston specifically is not a pro-Texas area as A&M and, and LSU. So you you have a lot of schools you're competing against down there, but this is a family that values relationships. And I think Ohio State does such a great, great job of identifying what a kid's biggest priority is and what a family's biggest priority is. And then if those things align with the Ohio State uh, approach, uh, generally the Buckeyes win those recruitments. And uh, I think that they're in the position to win the Devin Sanchez one. But like I said, you've got two months till January 6th and he makes his announcement at the Army All-American Bowl. And um doesn't matter. You still have a year from that point where you have to keep him committed, of course, but um, it, it would be a very telling win for Tim Walton and Ryan Day. You know, it could help him in Houston. Kenny Guyton, hire Kenny Guyton. He's from Houston. Mm. Go in, make inroads. Everybody loves Kenny Guyton, Berm, right? They do. Prairie View A&M, love this. Yes, they do Suckers. love Kenny Guyton. Um, all right, that's going to wrap up. Whoo. Berm, I, I talk about recruiting all the time, but you don't do it with me and Landis. I Painful? could talk about recruiting all day long forever. Oh, I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. Well, we like we like to help lead you through it a little bit, right? Yeah, you did great. Yeah. He could have just done the show by himself. <laughs> could have just had an AI algorithm. Yeah. Up next is cornerbacks. Yeah. Uh, all right. When we come back, we're going to do what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking. And that is exclusive to Kings of Columbus. And Berm's going to tell us what he's doing. We'll do that next right after this. Since you are our special guest, Jeremy Birmingham, we'll let you go first with what you are watching oh, right man. now that has of interest, uh, making you excited. You know, I don't get home very often, Doug. Um, <laughs> he's so, he's watching, I, what's it, I-75. That's what he's watching. <laughs> I, I, when I am home, my wife and I have a, 
we have like a, a regular rotation of shows we watch. So it's always, and she can't remember anything like as far as like what day shows are on or so every time, every night that I'm home and that's about two nights a week now, um, it's what shows do we have to watch? What do we have? What do we have today? What, what's on tonight? Um, but uh, lately, we we love we've always loved reality TV shows. So mm. we're we're he- we're heavy into Ninety Day Fiance. Um, we love that one. Um, but for me personally, I've been watching Loki uh, season two when I get a chance to turn off the TV with her watching. You watching the Golden Bachelor? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I we love reality TV show that isn't scripted like oh, the Golden Bachelor. Yeah. Uh, this is. I know that the, I know you guys used to have a lot of conversation with the aforementioned Ari Wasserman <laughs> about The Bachelor, but uh, no, no, thank you. Ninety Day Fiance, Married at First Sight, uh, those are the ones that I just love. Is Loki, I just love love. Yeah. <laughs> is Loki a good guy or a bad guy right now? Yes. Oh uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's the antihero. He he's a good guy right now. Yeah, uh, he's a good guy right now. Oh, okay. Everyone's um, a good guy because Kang is bad. Oh, Kang is bad. Yeah, I'll write that down. Kang is bad. Is there an H in Kang? Do you know? There's not. No H. All right, Landis, what are you watching? Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking for like new stuff to watch. So like, I'll take recommendations. But I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I was excited about the return of the Great British Baking Show on Netflix, and I've been catching up on that. And we just we just took a turn to Bread Week, and the Bread Week episode of the great British baking show is the most riveting television that you can watch. It's fantastic. Is, I, if it, you're, is it dramatic? Yeah. Is there drama? It's hey, mate. It's, it's always I mean, drama. Bruv, sourdough, bruv, bruv, my sourdough's burning, bruv. <laughs> it's basically like you. Yeah. I, I want to mention, uh, we are also watching the fall of the house of Usher on Netflix, but I didn't want to bring that up because I know Bill gets scared easily. So yeah, I do. Um, yeah. I wasn't, I didn't want to like, we're, we're, we're six episodes into that. So how, very much how scary is it? Like, like one to 10, how scary 10 being the scary. I, mean, I don't, I don't really get scared on, on TV right. shows and stuff. Um, uh, but I love pretend, Edgar Allan Poe. You do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big Edgar Allan Poe fan. So I like the fact that this entire series is based on his work. And so I'm, I'm, I'm into that. Okay. Do you get scared on the British breaking show? Like if they burn the bread land? Yeah. You terrified. TV? Yes. Yeah. I get nervous, like if the, if they're not proving the dough long enough, and then if it's yeah. in the if it's in the oven for too long, or if like the structure of what they're trying to make starts to fall apart, like it dry. Like I get, I get, I I feel their anxiety as it's yeah, happening. yeah. It's like oh, Landis watched a horror show the other night. What did you watch? They were burning bread. It's the worst. <laughs> um, so I just caught again the other day, Coco, the Pixar movie. You guys seen Coco? You both seen? I have not. Oh my god. It's so good. I think it might be the best Pixar movie. It made a gazillion dollars. Everybody's heard of it. It came out like in 2017. It is so good. Like it's emotional. It's funny. Um, like the, Are you saying it's better than Toy Story 3? I, it's, a, it's emotional. It's more emotional throughout rather than just like at the very end. Like it is really, really good. So this makes me it makes me happy that neither of you guys have watched it because I didn't know if it was like, yeah, everyone's seen Coco. Uh it's excellent. It's it's the draw like the, the the world they create is excellent. I just can't give it a high enough recommendation. It's one of those shows that I mean, I've seen it probably like five times and like you I still cry at the same spot every like you can't like it's just 
so real. So, oh, go watch it. Will you guys go watch it? You'll watch it, right? Go watch it. Oh, it's yeah. I'll watch it. I like yeah. I like a, I like a Pixar movie. Yeah, Birmingham, uh, I'll, I'll, give me a give me a reminder in like February when I'm home more than two days a week. Yeah, um, maybe you could just listen to it while you're driving. My my husky, you know, my husky whose name is Psycho. Uh, when I adopted her, her name was Coco. Um, oh. and now I don't know that that's relevant, but uh, I just thought that I'd try to connect with you on Coco. Does there's also that don't get that confused. Don't go to turn on Coco and accidentally turn on Psycho because then yeah. that would be like, oh, this isn't what Doug said at all. He didn't say there was a shower scene in Coco. Uh, all right. Uh, what are you eating, Berm? Uh, British bread. <laughs> just, Bruv. Yeah. Bruv, all the British bread, mate. All of it. Um, All of it, mate. No, uh, I don't. I eat a lot of the same stuff because I'm constantly in the car. Uh, But let me see. We went uh, to this place in Toledo on Tuesday night for dinner um, called Incavaya's Benny Italiano and uh, for my mother-in-law's birthday. It was okay. It wasn't what I... <laughs> it has such a fancy name. I can't believe yeah. the review was okay. Uh, Inky's is a really great pizza place in Toledo. It's like one of, one of the ones that uh, Dave Portnoy did a stop at when he was in Toledo last year. Um, so like it, it's it, Inky's is a really good pizza place. Now this is like their expansion to more full service Italian. Uh, I just, I, it was a little underwhelming as far as the seasoning and the food and mm. it wasn't there. So I, I'm, I was a little disappointed in that, but the, I, I have a very hard and fast rule that I will always give a restaurant two chances. So I will okay. figure out a time to get back to it again um, and see if it will, will be a better, great service, great atmosphere. Food was just a little meh. What was the order? Uh, a chicken parm. Oh, yeah. And it was just a little saucy for my liking and maybe not enough pasta of how I prefer parm. Um, and not really, like, I think the balance of cheese to mozz or cheese to uh, marinara on a parm is vital. And I think that if you aren't having your chicken parm like in the salamander and getting that nice golden brown crisp on your on your cheese, like it's just not the way it needs to be. Um, I think chicken parm texture is super important, and the texture was just not, not where it needed to be. Just imagine those people at that restaurant. You hear Berm talked about us on I, I, Columbus. I, what did he say? It, it, it was okay. Look, it, I, I think it can be better. Maybe it's a Tuesday night. I don't know. I mean, I will give it a second chance. I always give a second chance. All right, Landis, what are you eating? Um, I I mentioned uh, two episodes ago, I think that, that I had my eyes opened uh, to the Indian cuisine. Mm. Um, Big fan of it, but uh, I think it was, no, it was earlier this week, late last week. My wife went to Trader Joe's. When she goes to Trader Joe's, she comes back with, uh, I don't know, $300 worth of various frozen food items that you can cook in the toaster oven. And she got uh, chicken tikka masala samosas or chicken tikka samosas, I think they're called, like mini samosas. Uh, ate the whole box. <laughs> yeah. They were incredible. recommended serving size. Or yeah. No? The whole, yeah. The ser- yeah. Serving size, all of it. Um, yeah. Really good. And I think like Trader Joe's, I don't know if you guys are, are TJ's guys or not, but like they're, uh, their assortment of like frozen stuff you can buy for as like appetizers or like, even like a full meal. It's incredible. I've, I've yet to have something from their frozen food offerings that I have not liked. I'm more into TJ's than I am WF. Let me just say that if I had to, 
oh. pick one of those upscale places. Yeah. I would pick uh, TJ's. Mm. You mean WTF? Basically. The You recommended a frozen pizza the other week, Landis, that I, I saw. People were like, oh, Landis opened my eyes on this frozen pizza. And I saw the store. It's like, it's practically as much as a regular pizza. It's yeah, so and expensive. It's, and it's better than most pizzas you'll buy at no. a regular pizza shop. Oh, well, I think well, we which, should have to include the price. It's the Motor City Pizza Company, Detroit-style frozen pizzas. $15 for a frozen pizza or something. It's incredible. Oh, You're, it's well worth it. I'd pay, I'd pay $30 for it. All right. So I, well, I went to my uh, favorite restaurant the other day, which is the Ohio Union Buffet. Uh, <laughs> I just don't know where buffets are out in the world anymore. The pandemic killed buffets. And I thought they have a nice salad bar that I like to get at the Ohio Union. But then they also had a good hot bar. And I got like some beans and rice and some and some uh, jambalaya that I threw on top of it. And I threw in some mixed vegetables in there. And it just reminded me what a lovely experience it is because they were building a, uh, a giant marketplace at my giant right there at in the, the marketplace thing. Mm-hmm. And I've been to marketplaces that have a salad bar, but they didn't put a salad bar at mine. So I just sometimes want a salad bar or like a hot bar. I'm like an old person and it doesn't feel like, so I want, and then my daughter's at college and my daughter's like, we're paying for the meal plan. It's like, Hey, did you go to eat dinner tonight? She's like, no. And we're like, we paid for it already. And you're not eating it. I want a college meal plan for me myself. And so I get to go partake in it every now and then at the Ohio state union. And I just reminded, I, I, I would love, I don't want to go to class. But I just want to go back to college and eat, Berm. Don't you want to go eat on a meal plan? It's so good. Yeah, I'm also reminded that there were two things that COVID brought to this world that were great. Uh, the end of being forced to have um, like small talk conversations with strangers <laughs> and the end of buffets. Boo. So, You're not thanks, invited COVID. back. Thanks, You're COVID. Not, I, like, where are buffets anymore? At college and hospitals. I think I want to you go, go to hospitals. Ruby Tuesdays, buddy. That's it. Does Ruby go to Rube's tubes. Exist? They have the salad bar. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, go, go to Rube's tubes. Someone in Columbus. Just, just get a plate of bacon bits. Amish buffet. I'm always up for an Amish buffet. You go to Amish country and get. Oh buffet. yeah, it's just that butter. Just just different types of butter. Is yeah, that a I, that your Dutchman place? Is that a buffet? Oh yeah. Oh nice. Yeah. I need to I've go been, there. I've been with the one in Plain City and the one up the other place. So yeah, yeah. Well, highly we're, recommend. We're, we're from Pennsylvania. We have to go there. Yeah. I, I uh, want you guys uh, to know that my wife bought. Uh, Cosmic Crisp apples the other day because I mentioned that we were talking about you guys were talking about yeah different apple good? varieties sounds like they're from uh, space it wasn't it was like a good outer crisp but not nearly the snap I want on the inside of an apple it's a little oh, oh. Yes. Doug not you should uh, not what I want you should be thankful that your daughter is not using all of her meal points because I would call my mom every October to tell her that was out of meal points. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. Can't eat for six weeks. Yeah. What are we going to do? I used them all. Sorry. Oh, man. Uh, all right. Berm, and now you you're eating $30 frozen pizza. So. <laughs> now, now he's man. living the life. And Our burned life bridge. Yeah. What are you thinking, Berm? I'm thinking that I am tired of moral equivocating when it comes to cheating. It's me too. Uh, oh, I love it. I love moral equivocating. I think it's garbage, and I think it's actually really telling about our society in general, that when people break rules, we always point to why the rule is stupid and how the rule shouldn't exist, rather than saying, actually, it was the person who cheated. That's the problem. And This is uh, also I, yours, Landis, right? Legitimately. Yeah, that, that and also, yeah. too, just just like the general coverage of, what, of what's happening with Michigan, too, I find annoying. But sorry, go ahead, Bernie, you can continue. No, I mean, I, I just, it, it speaks to a bigger problem, I think, that is far beyond athletics, but 
um, it, it is certainly something that is on my mind right now because I can't really understand why so many people are okay with every rule being broken. Right. And the idea that, well, you just figure everybody else is breaking rules anyway. And so what's the big deal if I do it? I, that's yeah, I just, live, I, I think that's a, I think that's a recipe for disaster. Social anarchy. Yeah. Mm. Not into that. Yeah. No, I'm add, add to that Landis. Well, yeah, just, to, just that I'm, I'm with you there, burn, but, but I've also like the, the conversation around all this with Michigan, I've, I've, um, found like annoying, like quasi, like kind of like secondhand embarrassed on behalf of journalists too. Like the, the way that Michigan beat is handling. This is embarrassing. Not everyone, but enough of them that it's noticeable. Um, 90%. 90. Yeah. Like there's some good people on that beat who are, who are covering it the right way. And a lot of people just going off half cocked with like stuff that's either not true or not thought out all the way or not sourced the way it needs to be sourced before you report things. Um, and it makes me a little uh, upset about the way people are handling their job. But then also too, I think some of the national people are, and this maybe, I think maybe speaks to what Berm's talking about, like equivocating, you know, Purdue having Michigan signals with the way that Michigan went about stealing its signs, I think is wrong. I think it, I think it is a fundamental misunderstanding of the sport that you cover. If you think those are the same things. Um, and it's I, an intentional I, misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. I, I think, it's I think it's some cases, frustrating I, to me. Yeah. I think in some cases it is, um, which I find incredibly frustrating too. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've been thinking. Mine scooters. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> i cannot i can't so roller skate or, or i can't roller skate i can't skate uh, like um rollerblade so i think a scooter is like right up my alley for what i would need were i to like require some sort of less wheeled vehicle to get me places so we're on college we're on a college campus a lot and it's not only college campuses, but that's where you see all these scooters now. This is not like a new conversation. It's been this way for like three or four years. Um, but I, I'm always reminded that our, our our friend, we know, Nick Baumgartner, who works at The Athletic, was at the NFL Combine. It was like played out in real time, like last April. And he like tweeted like, hey, I'm going to get on one of these scooter things. And then like six hours later, he was like, I'm in the emergency room. I broke my wrist. And I was like, I am never doing that. Yeah. Plus, they don't have helmets. Do people carry helmets around with their backpack? Mm -hmm. Are you just supposed to ride a scooter with no helmet? So they're everywhere. And I feel like I'm missing out on a part of modern life by not riding these scooters that are everywhere. But I'm 50 and something's going to go terribly wrong. So I just have to sit this out, right? It's passed me by. I'm an old helmetless man. Don't get on the scooter. Even if I walk past 76 of them between my car and the door to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, right? Am I correct here or yeah, should I don't try do it? it? No, don't do it. Everyone, everyone in my personal life who has expressed the same feelings that you are expressing, but then tried to ride the scooter anyway, has fallen off of it in a very painful way. So don't do it. I've never ridden one, uh, but I do want to just say, Doug, you're, you're saying like your old life has passed you by, right? You're 50. Um, Issue two passed in Ohio and, and mm -hmm. you were talking a week ago about how yeah. you are hoping it passed so that you could potentially on, on this show or a different one um, sample things that you've never experienced in your life. And my, my advice, which is 
fail proof is to combine these two things. Um, <laughs> so I can't you, feel it when I break my wrist. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I think that you should just combine these two things. We can put a wireless mic on you. We can get a gimbal on a, on a camera and just follow you around um, the campus of Ohio State while you have had a magic brownie or whatever your your preferred delivery method is on a scooter. And maybe we can get you to also like. I don't know, deliver someone's food for, um, you know, one of the food delivery services just to find a different thing you've never done that you want to do. You know, I, we, I definitely feel like we could find a segment where like old man, Doug does college kid things. Yeah. Doug does college part two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would definitely break my wrist. Okay. So, but yes, I hope, I, I mean, I don't hope uh, we, you know, we weren't trying to take a side on issue two, but if that's what put it over the top, that people were unsure about whether they should vote to legalize adult use of marijuana, cannabis, in Ohio, and they said, well, the guys on Kings of Columbus said they'd get high on a show if we do it. Maybe it, maybe it factored in, Landis. I don't, I don't know. But if it did, it did. Yeah. Um, so we'll do that. So now we won't get arrested. That's it for Kings of Columbus. It went long, but it was three people, Berm. So like, what are we supposed to do? we got to let Berm well, cook, you- right? Per, per person, this is still less than normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we appreciate you guys making Kings of Columbus and the podcast part of your Ohio State fandom. We'll be back on Thursday with the Picks show, where we'll be making the three of us in Austin Ward. Uh, now, Berm's not on that show. It'll be Austin instead of Berm. Um, now Berm's going to be mad that he's not on that show. No, I'll, I'll have some talking stuff on Thursday look. night. So don't worry. We've got more recruiting to talk about on Thursday. More. There's more to discuss. Uh, yeah, there's actually stuff. specifics of this coming weekend and the big visit weekend. Oh, good. So that's Thursday night on the podcast feed pick show on Thursday, podcast daily Friday morning. Saturday, we'll have uh, the pregame stuff, and then we'll have uh, snap judgments, and we'll have the notebook. And then Landis, you and I will be doing the postgame show uh, from Ohio Stadium as our plan on Saturday night, right? Yeah, we'll be there. Uh, night game in the shoe should be a good atmosphere. I think uh, maybe a, a, a get right opportunity for everyone to, to feel good about where Ohio State yeah. is, and then we'll talk about it afterward. Sounds good. All right. So, Berm, thanks for coming and uh, coming on this show and, and talking with us. Yeah, glad to do it. Thank you, you know, for allowing like me to it. quantify myself. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you go quantify yourself, Berm? Uh, for Mike Yourstowski, our producer, for Jimmy Birmingham, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Kings of Columbus.